brown and the sky is gray welcome everybody to the wrestling 20 years ago podcast my name is rory mcnamara taking you through september 2000 wcw and i don't hear a thousand people clicking their stop button so you have decided to join me very sensible choice absolutely uh, i have eric landstrom with me eric they'll never take us alive though they, they won't um and, and what we all need to do right now is to stand uh, for the playing of the Canadian national anthem. So, Rory, if you'll rise. According to our WCW commentary team, and I'm not complaining whatsoever um, if you follow me anywhere outside of this show. Yes, I just thought a respectful playing of our Canadian national anthem. And if we're going to start with Rush and then go to Vince Russo, that's basically the equivalence of taking your sugar before the medicine. And I know you are being serious for a minute. A couple of other shows for you this month. As ever, ECW has been out for a couple of weeks. Lacey very much ahead of the game there. And watch out for Chris White, WWF, Unforgiven and all that. But as I did it so well last month, I'm going to hit the button. Yeah, still works. It is September 2000. Eric, let's have some news. Yes, help yourself and hurt the other guy. Yes, I don't normally like to refer to unconfirmed stories in this new section. There are plenty of other places to go for those. But this one is definitely worth flagging up. A source, probably not real name, believes that the rumours that Mandalay Sports, the Eric Bischoff vehicle, are close to purchasing WCW are indeed true. Uh, Eric Bischoff met with Brad Siegel in Atlanta at the start of the month. Most sources believe Bischoff proposed purchasing the company from Time Warner, presumably representing Mandalay Sports. Earlier this week, as we as we record this, known Bischoff allies made at least two calls to industry followers regarding WCW's estimated worth. However, the source, because it's definitely the same one, 
hence the use of the definite article, also rules out other rumours, supposedly rules out other rumours, that we touched on last month, that the WWF have the first rights to buy WCW per the two companies' recent lawsuit settlement. And yet, and yet, the source added, it's the first thing in this business that I haven't been able to find out any details on. That alone tells me there is something more than meets the eye, but I can't put my finger on what. Done, done, and indeed done. One thing we don't need the source for is that the AOL Time Warner merger is set for November the 1st. That said, he, or she, pipes up again shortly afterwards to tell us the word on the street is AOL have little interest in retaining the ownership rights to Time Warner's sports franchises, and that includes World Championship Wrestling. Still real to them. A Time Warner executive is quoted as saying, if we were going to keep WCW, don't you think we'd be working harder to fix it? I don't need a source to tell me this one is going to, as they say, run and run for the next month or so. Fall Brawl is Buffalo Pants? You might want to explain this one to all of us. We always hang in a buffalo stands. We do the down in the town we dance. I give you love, baby, not a romance. I make a move, nothing left to chance. So don't you get fresh with me. I will have played in the clip of Nana Cherry's Buffalo Stance just then, so I hope that explained it. I, I'm pumsum, Eric. What can I say? I spent literally seconds thinking of a decent headline for that one, and that's what I came up with. Anyway, yes, Fall Brawl was a pay-per-view event held by WCW a few weeks ago, and again, it wasn't very good. Although not very good is probably... I will take that after the last two horrors specifically. Uh, The big news was Booker T regaining his WCW title, defeating Kevin Nash cleanly, cleanly, in nine minutes in the caged heat main event. But don't get too attached to him being the champion is all I will say now. And in our other main events... Scott Steiner defeated Bill Goldberg. And speaking of which. I feel stupid and courageous. Oh, he got that one. So then Goldberg had been rehabbing his reputation. Apparently people were liking him again. So they say. And then, no, they weren't. Not Bill. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to know who the source was for that one. During the first Nitro of this month, this happened. And I quote directly from the PW Torch. Goldberg and Evan, courageous, were among the wrestlers at ringside and in the ring working on spots for the show, scheduled to start a few hours later. Evan went up to Goldberg and said hi and offered to shake his hand. Evan thought he saw Goldberg scratch his crotch right before offering to shake Evan's hand. Evan thought Goldberg was pulling a good-natured rib on him. So naive. So he turned around and ignored Goldberg's handshake. Uh Uh-oh. Goldberg, who was on edge after spending the weekend on a WCW publicity tour in the UK, doesn't say why he was on edge, said something to Evan. Evan shot a comment back at Goldberg, and next thing anyone knew, Goldberg kicked Evan, grabbed him by the throat, and shoved him against the edge of the ring. The entire altercation lasted 10 seconds, but it left a bad taste in several people's mouths. Uh, Wade, I would have chosen different words there after grabbing him by the throat thing. Evan was embarrassed, as was Goldberg later. The next day, they were brought together and discussed the misunderstanding. Goldberg apologised and explained how on edge he was, because not only had he just returned from the UK tour, plus he had a two-day commitment to represent WCW corporate partner EA Sports for two days later in the week. Plus, his previously injured arm was bothering him. There are conflicting stories on whether Evan accepted Goldberg's apology. 
One source says Evan did apologize. Another source, uh, other, says Evan responded to Goldberg's apology by telling him to, and I quote, take his $2 million spoiled temper and fuck off. All is well in camp. That just didn't didn't happen. Uh, Booker T, voice of the company. Yes, for the second month in a row, Booker T let rip to the Charleston Post and Courier. And once more, they could do far worse than listen to what he has to say. Here he goes again. We need to cut out house shows. We've been going in there and really making the fans feel like there was nothing. A guy like Hogan would go to a house show once a month and defend the title. Booker T was on the road every week defending the title. Even though the houses were crap, I went out and gave the fans a main event match. Those people paid good money to see a good show. We've been cheating the fans for so many years. They go into these same towns and give them the same crappy cards with the two guys working who've never said anything or don't have any issues. I feel like we should cut out 50% or more of our house shows and build our television back so we can go back into these towns. Shall we wait and see on that one? Let's ask Kevin Nash, the voice of his own company and with whom nobody wants to keep company and a man who cannot be hired by any other company. And aren't homonyms fun? Stealing all of them. I'm not sure they're necessarily ad hominems either. But yes, Kevin Nash has been making himself unpopular backstage. He is a very lucky man that unpopular uh, isn't a word. In addition to pretending that he didn't see the gold like Evan Brawl, but everybody knows that he did. He is complaining about recent fines that have been brought in for talent arriving late, from which he has not been made exempt. The horror. Do they know who he is? He believes Johnny Ace was the reason for this edict, so of course he called him a stooge in front of all the talents. And all of this after pushing for beating Booker at the end of last month, which lo and behold happened. And I doubt he had to push all that hard, let's be honest. As one wrestler puts it, and it's a front-handed compliment, but here we go. Nash is the best, even better than Hogan when it comes to manipulation. Hogan had a bigger name, but Nash kills you by being so witty and articulate. Hogan is articulate, but doesn't even touch Nash's wit. Why do I think Kevin will not be too bothered about that comment? Eric, um, all fun and frolics in WCW household, but how much longer will that household stay on the terra firma that it is supposedly built on right now with the news there we talked about in our first section is this going to be eric bischoff versus vince mcmahon after all is he going to get his wish from may 1998 in the ultimate way possible no no something about this doesn't i i don't know like i i think it's very obvious I think what we know is that WCW is, is for sale and probably is not long for the AOL Turner Time Warner uh, family. But gosh, there's just a lot of things swirling here. Um, you know, what kind of property is WCW? I, I don't know if there's much value to it. I guess its value is in its holdings and in its uh, television contracts and ad revenue and that sort of thing. Um so, yeah, I could see a, a, a major sports company or, or a burgeoning sports company like like Mandalay backed by somebody like Eric Bischoff, who we at least know can talk himself into the door, uh, coming up with something to save and kind of rebrand this company. But, Roy, there was something in the in the in your news was extremely thorough and there's just no way to cover all of this without maybe even having our own volume dedicated to all the sale rumors. But. You know, there was recently a a resolution of the intellectual property lawsuit between 
WWF and WCW yes. uh, on the Razor Ramon and Diesel um, uh, lawsuit or litigation that's been going on since 1996 or 1997. And one thing that was reported, I think, in the torch um, was that it had there was speculation that one aspect of that settlement was that the WWF had negotiated a right of first refusal to buy the company uh, if it were ever to come up for sale. Now, that strikes me as something that is far and above and beyond a clause that would be, you know, feasible for uh, a lawsuit like that. Like you're putting up a whole company basically for a litigation about two characters. That would be like Disney litigating Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck, but then saying, you know, we're going to settle this, but then you can buy Disney later uh, because of the way this lawsuit is being resolved. So it doesn't quite add up, but there's just a lot of WWF fire here. And so I think one, you know, we may not see Eric Bischoff versus Vince McMahon on screen as much as we might see it like in a courtroom, which is like not exciting for most people. But I think they're going to face off and it may not be on television. It may be in court. Well, how else could WCW, how else could WCW like there's just not going to be like a peaceful transfer of power. It's a massive (laughs) corporate. It's a massive corporate merger and the wrestling business like there's just there's like. Sharks with laser beams being dumped into a piranha tank. Like, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> yes, the two things do not easy bedfellows make, it is very fair to say. I am fascinated by how this is going to shake down. I'm no conspiracy theorist. No electrical appliances talk to me. Well, I might talk to them, but that's another story for another day. Um, especially my laptop 20 minutes ago. But um, I'm... What is not being said here is the biggest source of intrigue to your correspondent. Everybody, as has rightly been said by the source, as we're going to call him or her now, they've been playing their cards very close to their chest. And I would say they are indeed waiting for whether the AOL Time Warner merger on november the 1st does indeed result in wcw effectively being kicked to the curb we mentioned last month that ted turner himself who apparently is in love with the wrestling you know he told us so on clash of the champions 20 will be relegated to effectively a ceremonial role in the merged company so he won't be able to do too much batting on this one pretty important name to lose if ted turner isn't gonna stand your stand your corner just the talent pool is rather bare after that so i just think we have to wait and see as we go through the news over the next month we will of course let you all know as it develops but i would say november is where this is really going to start to unfurl and vince mcmahon versus eric bischoff in a courtroom all the training eric did for his match of a 1998 come on vince just one punch you know you're gonna love it He'll be wishing that happened, is all I could possibly say. But the ultimate, the ultimate story, the ultimate conclusion to our story could could be coming in a couple of months' time, and I'm sure you, you've already worked out what it is. But let's let's hang fire best we can, but let's not pretend it's not exciting. Rory, there's there's just another thing here. Like we kind of get lost in the in the weeds here when it comes to this stuff because we're so interested in it. But this is a show that really is like television and there's just no incentive right now for wcw to improve as a television product there there isn't there isn't because assuming turner 
wants to justify getting rid of it, you know, they can't have this like mammothly successful, you know, Leviathan television show that's garnering this huge ad revenue. Um, and, you know, for Bischoff and, and on that sense of things, you know, he doesn't want to, you know, he's still technically employed or involved with this park, but he doesn't want it to be good because if it gets good, it's going to be more expensive to buy. Yes. And then it was interestingly enough, and you, you, you start to maybe feel sorry for the guy for a hot second, and then you don't, but you think about it, which is Vince Russo. He has no incentive to do anything but to, to get better. And so he's just doing what he does and throwing shit at the wall because he knows it doesn't matter. So you have an un, unmitigated disaster when it comes to, you know, the television product improving at all in the next two months or beyond. So like, the viewer, the consumer is the one most impacted by this in any way you look at it in the short term. Absolutely. Don't make me defend Russo too often, please, Eric. I've already got one planned for later in the show. Two in a two-hour show. Overkill is the nicest thing I can say about it. But he is, more than ever, just booking week to week right now because he doesn't know what's around the corner. He knows that one poor should I say poorer rating and he is out the door and this time he will be out the door for good there will be no third chance this time I think he knows it so he might as well just spend five hours a week doing what he is doing and yes I'm sure he expects people to come down on him like a ton of bricks when he listens to this show he will not be disappointed but I feel a pang of sympathy in my little thing that just underneath the nail just that bit right there it's probably just as well we don't have chris lacy on the show because he would bring us crashing down to reality right now and i'm trying to be as empathetic as i can uh russo knows his days are numbered the real right. question is are the company's days numbered as we know it and that's what we're going to find out probably before the end of the year oh, oh my god he broke out of the handcuffs he broke out of the handcuffs he broke cold steel. Unbelievable. Oh, door strength. There's a bat. Oh, no. there it is. He, and he stopped the baseball bat. It's Goldberg's title win right now. Goldberg has his eyes on Vince Russo. Concentrate, Goldberg. It's the title. It's not Russo. Yes, that's what it's about. Now he's got to get out, and Goldberg will be the champion again. This is it, Tony. Nobody can stop him. This is Goldberg's night. He's just near feet away. He's the world champion. If he walks out the door, it's over. If he walks out the door, it's over. Bill Goldberg. Bill Goldberg is right there. Wait, wait, what was that? Who's that? Who is that? Is that, is that Bret Hart? It is. Yes, it's Bret Hart. Bret Hart slammed the door on Goldberg's head. Goldberg had a run. He was a foot away from walking out, and now he's up cold. Seth Snyder can win, but Jared picks the belt up. Jared picks the belt up. He throws it in the ring. They got Goldberg. Who's got the belt? What in the world's going to happen next? Well, they're going to punish Goldberg. That's for sure. I guess they are, but who's going to win the belt? Bret Hart slammed that door on Bill Goldberg. Wait a minute. What a moment. No, Kevin, what are you doing? Wait a minute. What are you doing, Kevin? Who's going to be the champion? It could, be, could it be Russo? Could it be Jared? Could it be Nash? Wait a minute, they hugged each other. Nash played for the right team after all. Nash played for the right team. It was another Russo swerve. The master plan has paid off for Vince Russo, for Kevin Nash, for Jeff Jarrett, and for 
Scott Steiner to let him work He stepped over to Nash wins! had the right strategy. He had the right men in his corner, including Bret Hart. And Russo's plan comes to fruition again. Kevin Nash walks out of War Games 2000 and into Ball Brawl against Booker T for the World Heavyweight title. You can bet Goldberg has yet to say the end of this one. But as you have heard, Russo is still very much in charge, doing what he can while he can. So yes, your ears did not deceive you there, dear listener. We are indeed only 20 minutes into the programme and I am playing you clips from a War Games because it took place on the first Nitro, Nitro of September. War Games on pay-per-view? Oh, goodness me, heaven forfend. Yes, thrown away on free TV. But then, like we said a few minutes ago, does it really matter? Uh, It does because it means I've written a very, very, very long uh, rundown of the match, which I'm going to bring to you now. You might remember, if you were watching Nitro and Thunder towards the end of August, that the four combatants, on the face team at least, for this War Games match, had indeed been chosen. Yet, because Nitro, qualifying matches were suddenly put in their way, leading to a change in one of the teams. Furthermore, meaning that the face team, such that they were, had a five-on-four advantage over the heels. Because that's booking one-on-one, isn't it? I haven't even tried to explain the rules for you yet. I will do my best to do that as we go. So, War Games, helpfully subtitles Russo's Revenge, as if he hasn't exacted that on us many times over the last year, for the World Championship Wrestling Heavyweight title, held at the time by Kevin Nash. Let's just get started, and I will try, try to fill you in on this best I can. We begin with an interview with the four face combatants, who turn out to be Booker, Sting, chronic I, I just don't know sting says that we have a chronic problem and he couldn't be more right if he tried but he then blocked his copybook immediately by still trying to make its showtime happen steve not worth it mate so the first man out for team russo is jeff jarrett and he is indeed up against sting to kick us off two minute intervals and here are the rules they can get the belts from the third cage just think about that if they wish right now before the other guys come in yes they are the rules as they were explained by our commentary team they start off with decent brawling to start as i see ladders set up between the apron and the cage the crowd are loud but i wouldn't say they are hot and there is a difference no attempt to head up to get the belt as the third man makes an appearance and it's big popper pump we didn't get to see the coin toss complete with ostentatious nose brace He grabs Sting, who tries to climb up to the top through a gap in the roof, because you can do that, and they both nail him with one of the many ladders lurking about. Press slam by Steiner as a ladder gets set up. The structure is apparently 40 feet high. Looking at it, they might not be far wrong. Sting just gets completely pasted, and next up is both members of Chronic, because why not? As this happens, Steiner goes up to the second level of the three-tiered cage, but they just happen there to be furnished with bolt cutters, and there are various other weapons embedded in the mesh. Chronic shimmy up there, though, and they cut him off. There is now precious little action going on. A double stomach breaker is the best we are treated to. Number five, or six, or whoever, is Vince Russo, and he is clad in hockey gear, as if he expects people to legit throw down with him. As if... The Harris boys aren't part of the match, but they climb up to level two anyway and have a listless brawl with Chronic. Meanwhile, Sting wants Russo and gives him a Stinger splash. Well, it's a start. 
Scorpion Leglock goes on, and next up is Kevin Nash, getting a late number, shockingly. Is he fine for that? He is currently the world champion, in case you couldn't remember. I couldn't, and I just mentioned it two minutes ago. He actually goes after Steiner first. It's every man for himself, Jess. And now a chokeslam for Russo. Or it would have been had Scott not talked him out of it. I was enjoying that. Harris Brothers and Chronic just brawl around the arena, arena, and nobody knows if the latter have been eliminated or not, much less care. Booker is out now, and he goes right after Double J. Axe kick for him, and the same for Scott. Russo is up and gets him some shots, but thankfully gets Axe kicked down. Obviously, Nash doesn't receive the same fate, though. He's not going down to that with no extra payday, baby. And he takes Book down with a big boot. Note, why isn't Russo selling anything? Our final entrant is Goldberg, absent from the team interview earlier, and he takes down all the heels in his path, all except Russo, of course, who is wise enough to have a baseball bat downstairs with him. Up there for thinking, down there for dancing, right? They handcuff Goldberg to the ropes, and now people remember there is a belt around here somewhere or other. The book, Sting, Double J and Steiner are outside the second cage on level two. Just go with it. Nash is just standing by the door on level one. Feel the work rate. Booker avoids the other battle and claims the belt, which is hanging above level three. We then get an admittedly great bird's eye view camera shot of him grabbing it, by the way. So he now has to climb down and go back through the door on level one. Oh my God, seeing the flaws in this one yet? He actually drops the belt on the way, but only to hit Jeff with the thing. Steiner steals it by the trapdoor between tiers two and one, as we learn Sting has been handcuffed too. We totally missed that on camera. Scott then drops it through the trapdoor and Russo claims it. Oh no, you don't. Mercifully, Cat, who again is not in the match, he was supposed to be, but never mind, gets in far too easily and takes Russo to the mat with a kick. But he pays for that with a jackknife, obviously. Goldberg breaks out of the handcuffs and nails Nash and Russo. He drags the belt off the floor and now he just has to walk out of the door. That all looks and sounds a bit too easy, doesn't it? Which is why a semi-disguised Bret Hart is here to slam the door back in his face. The heels punish Goldberg, as if this wasn't punishment enough. Then we have a quick conference as to who will be the champion between Nash and Russo. So then, 18th century Apple Scrumper, which would you prefer, the noose or the firing squad? The decision, probably a shoot, comes down on Nash's favour, definitely a shoot, as then all of the heels just saunter out of the door together with Nash holding the belt, making mugs of, well, all of us really. Eric, this occurred on Nitro's fifth birthday. And I would wager anybody else celebrating their fifth birthday on that day could have done a better job of putting it together. This was somebody having a fifth birthday and taking too much Tylenol PM and coming <laughs> up with wrestling match. This. Where do you even start with this? Fuck. Fuck those. Um, so we had there were nine guys announced. For the match, I think and we so. also had the Harris. And then we also had the Harris brothers, and then at a certain point, there were just people doing stuff <laughs> on screen in a wide shot that you couldn't keep up with. Um, I just, I'm, I'm down to just watching WCW and basically having questions. Um, my one question is, how much did this cost? Again. A company trying to cut budget so that it can be sold being run by somebody who wants to buy it. Okay. And they're putting shit like this up. We need to stipulate this was 
I sound angry. I'm not angry about this. I'm just kind of. It's not worth getting angry over, Eric. I'm, I'm kind of just reflecting. Um, <laughs> this wasn't war games. Can we just be very clear about this? This was definitely not war games. This, this was. <laughs> This was officially the first War Games match I have reviewed as the course of this project. Just just think about that for a second. Now, you've still reviewed zero War Games matches. You should <laughs> rest, rest assured. This was a triple-tiered cage match, more akin to the Ready to Rumble cluster than anything else, I guess. Um, but certainly not War Games, unless you call any cage match with staggered entrances War Games. Um, so... You did a really good job talking about the fact that there there just aren't rules, and, and, and there's a heavily gimmick match that appears not to even have its own rules, like Chronic coming out together, all these other people. It's just too much. There's too much happening. And then all this build, you have Russo and Nash, and then Chronic and the Harris brothers, and it's a clusterfuck, and Tony asks, and Rory asks, and Eric asks, are they out of this match? And all of this is supposed to be building all this tremendous heat so that when the face's music, when Booker T, the conquering hero, when his music hits, the crowd explodes. Booker T's music hit and nothing happened. And the reason nothing happened is because there was no heat. And the reason there wasn't any heat was because you couldn't pay attention to any of this and nobody knows who's on whose team or what's supposed to be going on. So there was this obvious build to this obvious point in this match. And go back and watch it where Booker's music hits and nothing happens. To me, that killed any potential that this match had to garner any sort of uh, heat with me. Um, and then you summarize the end. I think the facts speak for themselves, and Nash is the champ. And I don't think this really solved anything. I saw somewhere where somebody said this was a well-thought-out or like a decently like booked match, and I just... It's, that's just wrong. Um, I will have there two were too many, of whatever they are on. Let's say that. <laughs> there, there were too many people doing too many things in a match that didn't have rules. And if it did, those rules couldn't be followed. One by somebody who was champion either way. That cost too much. That wasn't built on TV towards anything. And was ultimately rendered meaningless days later. What? Have I said anything wrong? All, all too right, Aaron. I was just checking off the boxes as you went. It's very easy. The easiest 100 out of 100 A++ distinction you will ever get, my friend. All you had to do was, you might as well have just written your name at the top of the page. It was the same difficulty level, I have to say. Not that I want to belittle your achievement any, of course. It's a, a pass is a pass and all that. Not that this match will get anything remotely like a pass, of course. It was just had me hankering. I mean, hankering for the main events of Uncensored 1996. Now, this is the level we are at now. This is where we are. Oh, that looked like Dory Funk Jr. wrestling <laughs> some territorial main event in 1973 compared to this thing. I mean... Your beloved they're, God they're not even, is in the conversation, but I fucking <laughs> Well, God attacking Schmidt, the work rate of that was pretty intense. And I, but anyway, the, the point is, like, in only four years, that's gone from being, like, the most ridiculous thing to being, like, oh, yeah, that was uh, that was wild, wasn't it? But, wow, this is way worse. 
it's at least I mean, I'm making excuses for uncensored 96 now for crying out loud but at least that match had its own stretch 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 internal logic there was a structure for it to be happening Mm -hmm. it had they went to one cage and they went it wasn't good no but it had structure and it was easy to follow yes yeah it wasn't good like what was going on and the humblest dude not get us wrong yeah and flair being pinned at the end well somebody remembered you had to do that because it had to be flair with all the other people on the heel team but never mind this was impossible to follow but i will hold my hands up and say despite how in-depth my notes were i wasn't really trying to follow it all that closely anyway because a the camera work didn't even give me a sporting chance of doing so and b it was as uninteresting as this sort of match can possibly be as i said earlier the ridiculous build-up having chronic in there and not knowing if they've been eliminated or not faces up five versus four wasting all that money on what must be said was a fairly impressive looking structure but it's just might as well have just been tracing paper with nothing written on it you know if i was to hold up some tracing paper that would all be very well but a i've got to trace around the mona lisa and b i need to try to embellish it in my own way they had the structure somebody in the back thought yeah we can knock one up with three cages all the way 40 feet high and hang the belt above it it'll look pretty good all of that was at the expense of putting together any form of match that approached cohesive. Why would anybody, and yes, book is the hero face, etc., etc. Why would anybody even try to get the belt in the first place when the whole point is being the first person to walk through the door with it? Of course, the only person who was bright enough to know that was Kevin Nash, because as we talked about earlier, he's the wittiest, most intelligent one of them all, uh, be it on or off camera. He is the only person in this match, Russo, who didn't get to look like a complete and utter fucking chump. And I include the rest of the heel team in that as well. Why were they so keen to let Nash walk out the door with them? Who's on whose team? Nash tried to choke Sam Steiner in the first five seconds. Oh, for fuck's sake. Why, why am I trying Nash to... Tried to power bomb, Nash tried to powerbomb Russo twice. He did, from, from which he was <laughs> sadly talked out of. Now, there's a reason I dropped in every man for himself here, Jess, but... Oh my god! Just nothing. No organization, and they had at least a week—at least a week, a week—to actually put this together. It was announced for last Nitro of August, and of course, five minutes before the show, they had the structure and the physical structure, but there was no structure to this match whatsoever. It was Kevin Nash laughing at us yet again, and if that is all the company is being booked around right now Twas ever thus you could say but there was enough elsewhere going on to mask that just slightly though the emperor has very few clothes on these days it's jockstrap at best and when that is whipped off that's when the company itself might well be put out to pasture no Right, I just so, think there, 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 buyer's there, remorse from anybody who wants to pick this up. Buyer's remorse will strike very quickly. Yeah, go on. Yeah, no, I just, I just wanted to drop a little, just, just the tiniest bit of optimism in here, <laughs> just so that there is, just because that there, you know, if you look at something long enough and think about it hard enough and make enough excuses for yourself, you, you'll find some silver lining. One point that I did read that I hadn't considered, which 
makes me question the effectiveness of this match in doing this thing I'm about to talk about. But in hindsight, it did make pretty clear that they have like their top like five, six, seven guys pretty well sorted out. Yes. And in, uh, if you really want to stretch it, this kind of goes back to that mid nineties, like Jim Ross, Bill Watts theory, where it's like, you want to have, when you don't have a clear number one, and I don't think Goldberg at this point, he needs to be like revalued in order to be a clear number one. But when you don't have that clear number one, or your clear number one is like on the cusp, you need like five, six, seven people that you can rotate in and out. That'll still draw. If they just keep doing that here with your, bookers and your steiners and your sting and whoever else like okay that might be worth building on something so silver lining i guess we know who is going to be at the top of the card probably and you could do a lot worse than any of those names i presume we have already eliminated chronic from this equation just just checking i have to check this thing can scramble with you scramble with you See, scrambling with my words. Just this is the thing with chronic, and they're coming up later. Chronic just ruined me. I rational thought, rational rationality. Chronic disabled me from doing so. And when they when they were put in this match, I didn't stand a hope in hell of getting through it. But yes, other than them, these are their top guys. And there are triple main events, many triple main events. You could build pay per views around with those guys. As we're about to discuss, they sort of did it with four or five of them the results were the results and we'll get to those a bit later on as well but even given our long-standing opinions let's call them that of mr jeff jarrett eric he is probably worthy enough to be in this company i.e this company itself worthy enough to be in the company itself is another question but while he's there having him in your top seven on the roster hmm I can, I, can, I can let it go, let's say that. I can let it go. But it's all about how you use these people correctly. And an adventure playground assault course in which you have to carry <laughs> a piece of leather through an open door doesn't really qualify. No, this got nobody over, but it's clear who they were trying to get over. That's the best we can say about it. We are gathered here tonight in the sight of God and in the witness of this great and holy congregation to witness this great mystery of life. And with our celebration, we will bring a great recognition to the worth and beauty of love and to add our best wishes to the words that shall unite Stacy and David together. Stacy, David, you must make your marriage out of love. Love is the core of a relationship. It is the reason that we are all here. You must build it upon trust. Trust, you must open your hearts fully and give yourself one to the other. You must build it on dedication to open yourself completely, to believe, to learn and grow with one another. And of course, you must build it on faith. Faith, because the two of you now enter into a journey of life where one cannot predict the future. And here today, we express that commitment one to the other to commit to life's journey together. Should there be anyone who has cause why this couple should not be united in marriage, they must speak now or forever hold their peace. I always get kind of nervous at this point. Don't look at me. I'm happy for these two. I'm holding my breath here. Come on. All right. All right, David. Take it. Moment of truth right now. Wait a minute. She's, she's got the? a hand raise. What what she's gonna, what's she doing? What's she doing? David, something's been eating. 
could ignore it, but I just can't. What is it? What is it? What, 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 what? Well, you know when I told you that we were pregnant? Yeah, I mean, we don't have a baby, we don't have a baby. Oh, no, I'm pregnant. Father. Whoa! 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 Boy! Oh! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I I'm not the father. I can't, I can't do it. I'm sorry. If it's not David, where'd you go? She's leaving him at the altar. She's running away. Did she say what I think she said? She said he was not the father. David Blair is not the father. She just lowered the boom on. Now wait a minute. Who the hell is the father? I don't know. Okay, on that bombshell, I think it is time to discuss for Brawl 2000. Eric, you are furnished with the results. Take us through what happened in dear old Buffalo, New York. Yes, another lengthy card, thanks to stipulations and titles. Uh, In the opening match, Elix Skipper uh, retained the Cruiserweight Championship, defeating Kiwi. And then the Misfits in action defeated Three Count in a six-man tag team match. And then uh, the Harris brothers defeated Chronic in a what was announced as a chain match and then became a first blood chain match. Yes, you heard that correctly. Um, and then Lance Storm retained the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship, defeating General Rection. Uh, Jim Duggan made an important appearance in that match, which we'll talk about. And then the Filthy Animals and Paul Orndorff fought the Natural Born Thrillers, which is all those guys that look alike. Uh, to a no contest. This was an elimination match. Uh, next, in a scaffold match, Shane Douglas and Tori Wilson defeated Billy Kidman and Medusa. Then Sting defeated the Great Muda and Vampiro in a triple threat match. Mike Awesome then defeated Jeff Jarrett in a bunkhouse brawl. Scott Steiner defeated Goldberg in what amounted to a no disqualification match. And then in the main event of this 10-match card, Booker T captured the WCW World Heavyweight Championship, defeating Kevin Nash. Enjoy it while you can. Eric, your thoughts on 4 Brawl 2000? Uh, If you set your standard, if you set your metric to Russo, this was a perfectly fine show, the best by that metric uh, that we've had in a couple of months. Less things that made me want to put my head through the television, um, and some competently wrestled, some competently wrestled wrestling matches with minimal outside interference. So, uh, more good things to say about this show. Probably more on a match-to-match basis uh, than in prior months. So we'll start there and see what happens. Yes, if Bash at the Beach is where the body finally falls over. New Blood Rising, aware its eyes are closed, out of respect, then this is where the corpse twitched, just slightly, just slightly. <laughs> I, I definitely saw it move. You know, it wasn't a maggot. It really moved of its own accord. A couple of hours later, you know, any other signs of life were finally extinguished. But just for a moment there, yes, after the death of the business itself last month, there's only one place you can go after that, right? And it did. One level up. What, what's, the up. 
First of all, games cage when you climb through the hole to get to level two, just about there you go. But let's take you through for 2000 match by match, segment by segment, and we'll see where we are in about an hour's time. We kick off with a decent video package about the two big matches, illustrated by, of all things, action figures of the people involved. Add your own comments about where the most charisma lies. I must say that book of figure does a pretty mean spinneroonie. So we are indeed in Buffalo, New York, to be greeted by 10 gigantic matches. Uh, the first of which involves people who are not gigantic, as it is for the Cruiserweight title. Uh, not my gag, Kevin Nash's, I'm sure. So we have Kiwi, accompanied by the still-named Paisley, for some reason Paisley, taking on primetime Alex Skipper, accompanied by the reluctant Canadian Major Guns. Uh, the fact Skipper is about as Canadian as she is, is evidently for the birds. Kiwi versus, versus Skipper for the... Cruiserweight title, say that fast, 10 times. Kiwi is out of the blocks fast with some very swift strikes. And after a quick breather, Alex goes to work on the arm and Kiwi meets him equally. Accomplished start, it must be said. Nice hip toss reversal that I always enjoy as a superfluous USA chunt goes up. Leg takedown by Skipper, but Kiwi sees that coming as well. This is not at all bad in the early going. Odd looking leapfrog though, that wasn't right. And full arm dragon twist, that's always right, Tony. Elix sells some of the earlier arm work, including still doing so after using it from a punch or two. Cool. Backdrop, and he lands on the apron. Somersault back in, then a good old kidney punch. Dragon suplex for two, and then more twos to follow. Hammerlock suplex by Skipper, and he is emptying the chamber here. Big leg drop off the top for another two, then he wrenches on the chin lock. That's how you do it. Guns leads another USA chant as Alex takes it to the mat. Arm doesn't drop on three, and Kiwi is up. Not for long, as he is clubbed. Skipper puts some sauce on his steak, there's no doubt about it. We spill outside and then a gorgeous acai moonsault takes out both Kiwi and a $20,000 camera. Eh, what's another $20,000, eh, Brad? Kiwi barely beats the count back in, but can get his foot on the rope from the resulting cover. Skipper goes for the overdrive, but Kiwi reverses to a big powerbomb. And now here come the natural-born thrillers to spoil everything. There's press and fists of fire by Kiwi. And then a dropkick. He scores. Awesome near falls, then frustratedly tosses Elix over the top rope. Usual guardrail spots. I'm not even angry about them now. Well, okay, I am, but, you know. Kiwi hops back in the ring, and with the ref tied up by Paisley, Sanders hits Kiwi with a stickball bat right in the knee. No, not the knee. Crossbody should do it for Skipper, but Kiwi rolls through through a close two. Skipper, though, chop blocks the knee, then guts off the overdrive for the three and retention of the title. Eric, natural-born thrillers aside, obviously, I had this one down as perfectly cromulent. Yeah, let's get the let's get the ugly stuff out of the way first. There is a plague, and it's across wrestling, but it's especially in WCW. And that plague is perfectly logical finishes due to outside interference or other various weapon use not coming to fruition, and the match continuing until the finish happens. We see it in about an hour and a half's time with Jeff Jarrett in a much more egregious manner i'm sure i'll point it out again at some point in the interim but like when there's interference and you're hit with a bat and you're hit with a move that's the end of the match especially if it's the opening match uh for the cruiserweight title so as usual psychology goes over in the end here more than anything else but if we go to from the start of this match to basically the time uh, uh, above average mike standard <laughs> this guy i can't even maybe that's the point uh, the interference. I was prepared to say that this is one of the better uh, wrestling matches that I've seen on WCW in quite some time. Um, 
Kiwi has been impressive. Uh, he's got a weird gimmick, but in ring, he's great. Skipper has a ton of charisma. These guys are working well together. There were a couple little mistakes, but they looked like they were wrestling a match, and they aren't supposed to look perfect if you're simulating combat. Um, so this was a very well-worked, in my opinion, credible um, cruiserweight match, uh, which was a breath of fresh air. Even with the botched finish, even with the interference, this was still probably well above what I was expecting to get uh, out of this pay-per-view right off the bat. So this actually put me in quite a good mood starting out, and I'm curious as to whether it'll, it'll carry over. This was a good match. I'd like to see more between these guys. Mike Sanders and all those other guys, just stay away, please. They, it was going on so nicely until they turned up, wasn't it? And then then come the botches, then come the confused finishes. It just surrounds them like a plague. And I think, and not to carry on about this opening, you know, match, but like, I did notice that they were wrestling a match in a traditional structure where you had a hot start and then you cool it down in the middle and you went to the finish. And I even found myself noticing like, oh, there's a lot of holds and there's a lot of like setup and there's a lot of, you know, we call them rest holds and stuff. And I'm like, I think WCW and just watching this over the last year has kind of even ruined me to like a traditional match structure. And so I think if you wrestle this match even five years ago, even those quote-unquote like slow spots don't seem slow. They just seem as part of the flow of a match. Um, so that's that's very alarming as well as finding myself just completely out of touch with what this match was because WCW has spent the last basically two years not doing anything in any sort of co- cogent or cohesive or uh, traditional manner. No, indeed. This one, until they turned up, did feel like the wrestling equivalent of notes being passed around the back row of the classroom where the teacher can't see. Cause I am sure there were people there in the back who would not be very happy with this style of wrestling. Little guys actually getting down and grappling and putting together something with a beginning, middle and an end that did until the interference made perfect sense. and wasn't just spot, spot, spot. Right. I wouldn't have minded too much necessarily if it had been that. So it is to the credit of both of these guys that they put together a constructed match that say, flowed very nicely from point A to point point B to point C. You had the moves. You had, it's like Brett would say about Owen Hart, the best mixture of the technical and the high flying you had in this one. <laughs> the characters were in there as well. Told a simple but effective story. I do agree with you that Skipper has oodles and oodles of charisma in particular. As for Kui Wee, I'll be interested to see what he can do with a very different gimmick, and hopefully that won't be too long coming for him, because in the ring, he's got it. Skipper also needs to get away from this angle, that he's probably not what he's meant to be doing here, but he's playing it as a standard heel, as opposed to the other guys in that group, and I'm okay with him doing that. His in-ring stuff is primarily doing the talking and speaks very, very loudly here. Yeah, a couple of minor botches, but you're going to get that. They were fighting each other. Two little guys, little guys about it now, actually scrapping to win a match is what it felt like here. We don't see that often enough on the other major promotion, really, if I'm totally honest, as good as they've been this year. Certainly not in WCW. Look at the way some of their other talent is wasted a bit later on in this card. But here, the amount of time to shine, they took it probably already been forgotten about in the corridors of power at world championship wrestling but for 10 minutes there just for 10 minutes there we could believe 
Three counts. Uh, according to Mark Madden, a freshly back from the Sydney Olympics where they helped the US women's synchronised squealing team win the gold. I mean, come the fuck on. It's making me long for the days when Rick Martel was absent due to a fashion show in Paris. Back to the day job. It's making today, me though. long for 30 seconds ago when we were complimenting <laughs> the show. Already. <laughs> Lost in the ether, Eric. 30 seconds might as well be 30 lifetimes. And gone. <laughs> Mark Madden. Natural Born Thrillers and Mark Madden spoil everything. There, we've got it. And a couple of other people as well. But for now, it's just them, as if that wasn't enough. Uh, back to the day job for three counts today as they take on MIA, who are represented by Charvo, Lash, and Wall. Still not using those stupid names. Charvo starts off with more, and they exchange some solid basics until Charvo gets up a lovely water wheel slam. Lash in now to bust a move before getting awkwardly moonsaulted down. He lost his footing before Shannon got there, I believe. Uh, Evan with a leg lariat before tagging in Helms. He misses an elbow, and now Wall makes an appearance. He gets led through his sequences, very, very obviously. Lash gets tripped up after coming in, and then three counts unload a spinning neckbreaker into a Samoan drop. Moore stomps away and gets a leg lariat of his own into the corner. Rocker Dropper, or the Showstopper as it is known here, needs Charbo to break up the count. Body Press Suplex, their double teaming is tremendous, sees Evan get in and Lash is taking quite the uh, lashing. He eats a power slam and a cool top rope elbow, but is out at two. Sunset Flip by Helms also gets two, and now we share some right hand centre ring. Russian Leg Sweep by Helms, and Almora is back, twisting splash for two. Slugging ensues to no outcome until Shannon misses a charge and gets face planted. This is supposed to be the hot tag, but you get it. The wall is in again, and his offense is not what you would call algebraic. He gets caught by Helms, and then Moore takes out Lash with a big dive. Charbo then does the same to Evan. So it's left to Wall and Helms in the ring, but they recover to block a chokeslam. Helms superkicks Wall off the apron into a randomly placed table. Chekhov would be proud. Then they miss another superkick, Charbo with a counter powerbomb, but only two off that. As three counts try a triple super complex on the remaining MIAs, but it gets fought off as my commas are all over the space, all over the place in these notes. No spaces either. Double DDT works, but now Wall is up. And Lash with a spinning DVD on Helms, and that is enough for a rather sudden victory, Eric. Man, I remember shockingly little about the point and point uh, of this match before you, and even while you were recapping it. Uh, my notes were surprisingly short, too. Um, I did not in- personally enjoy this the first half or so of this match as I enjoyed the first two-thirds of the last match, and this is how desperate we are as we're parsing matches now. Uh, but I-, I did find the first half of this match a perfectly reasonable undercard six-man tag team affair. And I think people got their offense in and the faces sold. And yeah. But again, as uh, these matches are so desperate for clean finishes, right? And like, we're, it doesn't matter because like, what does this match accomplish? But I think if we had just had these guys do a match, even with their weird gimmicks and the names that we refuse to acknowledge and that sort of thing, and then you just have somebody pin somebody, that's fine. But again it just becomes unbridled unmitigated chaos with tables and at least there wasn't just a whole bunch of interference i guess there were enough guys out there already to where you need a whole bunch of running so maybe that goes to this match's credit um but man you just you look at the wall and yeah you didn't you're right his offense is not algebraic um 
But this was a guy who was wrestling Hulk Hogan and basically had an entire episode of Nitro built around him six months ago. Mm-hmm. And now he's just a nobody from Nowheresville on a nowhere team with a n- nothing gimmick. So they they couldn't even – it just kind of goes to show you that, like, do you think if Vince McMahon had the wall that he would be in a better spot than this? And that's kind of like – yeah. You feel bad for WCW. You feel bad for WCW, but they don't even maximize the talent that they have. And the wall is not going to save the company, but he's a perfect example of somebody who they're getting nothing out of, who they could be getting something out of. So I was really big on him uh, around that Hogan, that little mini Hogan run that he had just that couple weeks span. And it's just evolved into nothing. And I think it just kind of is par for the course for WCW. We gave them credit for establishing their top six guys, but their undercard is an absolute disaster. It's the wall, brother. Yeah, he's another one. I'm a little surprised that he hasn't had a call from our friends in the good north. I don't know what they'd probably do with him. Somewhere where he doesn't have to talk right to censor, maybe. I shouldn't give him too many ideas, but they probably could. I'll take, you know, he's already I'll got take... the white. He's already got the white shirt in the, uh, <laughs> there you go. In the tie. Ready made, pal. <laughs> Straight to the bring that, gi- bring, bring that gimmick they've got you under. <laughs> that worked so well for some other big guy uh, a couple of years ago, didn't it? Um, Tighten the corporate giant. <laughs> oh, the, we, we really are taking quite the trip down memory lane today. It was a simpler time, Eric. Oh, it was a simpler time. So um, <laughs> this match was all right for a while. I do get a kick out of three counts double team offense unlike the guys in the previous match i'm not convinced they would be as adept at holding matches together that weren't spot crazy i think that was exemplified in their ladder match last month that we were all reasonably praiseworthy for but had again structure the word of the day precious little of that going on and that was the case here their moves are impressive but this match didn't really tell me anything. Didn't really try to either. MIA, the guys involved in that are just not the sort of people you would want. Say the wall we've already discussed. The lash. Listen, I'm <laughs> mentioning Brett two for two now. The lash um, does what he does, and that's about it. I still think there could be more to come from Charvo. He's. I think I once called him on this show either the most exciting, boring wrestler of all time or the most boring, exciting wrestler of all time. I still haven't quite made my decision on which of those is correct. But with both of those being in play, that is the concern. Three count are another one who need to get away from this gimmick. They've dropped Tank Abbott now, I'm pleased to say. But I'm to me the jury is still out of them, even as a tag team, as good as their tag team moves are. But let's give them an opportunity. It's all about that. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Nobody's buying the boy band thing. Split them up. Let's have some singles matches against each other or indeed some of these guys. Let's see what they can do. And we'll come back in three or four months to see if they're worthy of being on the pedestal to be slightly lofty about it that the guys were in the opening match. But there is promise there. But we've said that before. A young scamp asks for the autograph of Nash, Double J and Steiner. Uh, Nash, of course, holds him up for a price, which I believe is a dollar fifty. I'm rather surprised it was so low. As we all know, a John, a John, a John Hancock is extra for Nash. He probably has trouble saying those words as well. So the Harris brothers are chained up with Chronic for our next contest. 
You know that the Harris brothers are not on the creative team as they are using a steel chain and not piano wire. He went there. Adams must be, though, as he has just made this one a first blood match. This one is at least easy to recap. One crappy Brian is tied to one crappy Harris brother. So, yes, there is your answer from 13 years ago. And they can pile crap this high. Into the crowd we go. And is anybody still impressed by this sort of thing? Clearly not, as nobody in Buffalo even mugs for the camera shouting, Hello, Mum, I'm on telly. On to the announcement. Go, go on. Faction warfare, pal. <laughs> yes, and <laughs> I don't mind us looking back to 1997, but there are limits. Onto the announced table, all of, and it, all of them are here. <laughs> yes, it looks like Tony snacks have spilled over. I doubt Madden had any spare. Cheap shot. I don't care. Into the ring and choking and choking, and that lucky sod Billy Silverman gets bumped. Shots to the tackle by Chronic, but one of the now bleeding Harrises nabs a barbed wire baseball bat. Hmm. And commentary team, please stop talking about period blood. Thank you very much. Oh, apparently Adams is busted open. Oh, he is. And Billy Silverman can see it too. That's enough for the win. Do I care enough to point out the miscarriage of justice there? Eric, come in, because that is, of course, a rhetorical question. Run from this match. Run as fast as you can and do not look back. I, I just... What, what, who likes this? Um, what does this accomplish? Why is there a first blood match, third from the card, in a match that's already gimmicked with the chain stipulation? Why are the Harris brothers on television? Why is Chronic on television? Why are they wrestling each other? I have way more questions than I have answers. And I've also lost the 637 that this match lasted, as well as the couple of minutes that I've been asking questions about it. Uh, back to you. So there go those six and a half minutes, Eric, and they're there in the ether with the Kwee Skipper match and anything else good in our lives, really. I, I cannot. I just cannot with the Harris brothers. It's often said that there are a lot of rather dicey people out there in the entertainment world and you shouldn't let their personal traits get in the way of enjoying their art. But with the Harris Brothers, the whole concept is very, very simple anyway. So there is at least that. And I'm sure you all know by what I'm referring to. Chronic's role as, not so much on this pay-per-view perhaps, but Chronic's role as semi-main eventers is a source of great bafflement to me. And if I cared enough to try to find a reason why that is the case, I would be only too happy to do so for you, dear listener. Oh, it's just despicable. I'm talking about the Harris Brothers again, aren't I? Definitely time to press on to the next match, he says, looking at it. Oh boy, promo backstage with MIA. Morris pulls his words straight out of the summer of 1997, but he will defeat Lance Storm and bring both the US title and major guns back over the border. And he has a surprise for us, a guest enforcer of Hacksaw Jim Duggan, tough guy. Lance is out to be serious for a minute. He has mixed emotions tonight as he is so close yet so far from home. Tonight he will give the fans a chance to move north after he wins and will have all of them applying for citizenship. Tony takes a leap out of the book of Australia fans for when they play England at cricket, but thankfully doesn't start singing We Get Three Dollars to the Pound. So then, Lance Storm versus Hugh Morris with Hacksaw Jim Duggan as guest enforcer. You know what chance we open up with and Morris is wasting no time with punches and backdrops? Storm is dumped to the outside, much to the delight of Major Guns, and then we reset. 
Up top we go, and Morris gets off a good superplex for a two-count only. Blatant low blow by Lance helps swing the momentum, and then a rather messy duck and reversal sequence. Storm just clobbers Morris down for two. Somebody forgot something there, I reckon. Dropkick gets us back on track for two, then outside Storm dives off the top rope with a beautiful body press. Back in, Lance gets a dual jacker, but Morris responds with a power slam for another near fall. Big gut wrench power bomb, but the cover is slightly delayed, so two it is. Lance blocks a suplex and bears the dragon screwed leg whip, but Hugh kicks off before the maple leaf can go on. German release suplex that Storm took very hard indeed, and Duggan throws him right back into the ring. Gun distracts Gun <laughs> Gun could have been Guns distracts the other ref, and Hugh is going for the no laughing matter, and Duggan is on the apron, and Major Guns, after what happens, has her head in her hands, and as I simply can't type any more about this, Eric, I'm going to let you talk about this match as I am off to join her. We'll work backwards here. Uh, beginning five minutes after this match to when I finally stopped laughing about the finish. There's one reaction. There was an Oakland promo after this, and he interviewed somebody, but I was, I was still laughing from this. Yeah, uh, so uh, Jim Duggan, Wax, Lance Storm, oh, I'm sorry, Lance, uh, Wax, uh, Hugh Morris, mm-hmm. General Rection with the 2 by 4 and yeah. Storm pins Rection, and Duggan rips off his official shirt to reveal a Canadian sleeveless number. Uh, this was, I mean... Okay, it was like, maybe just to me, but I felt like it was pretty obvious something was amiss because Duggan was wearing way too many shirts. Um, This was another half-good match between two very good wrestlers. And again, it's just a matter of booking. What is the harm in allowing Lance Storm, who we know is a world-class worker, and Hugh Morris, uh, General Rection, who was has had a surprisingly decent number of matches against some people. Mike Awesome, and he had some good matches with, like, your Benoit and stuff. Like, this guy can go. And especially with a guy like Lance. Like, boy, couldn't these two just have a good 15-minute wrestling match? And we got about halfway there, and then the end happened. So, I don't know. It was just a a needless swerve on a needless swerve um, in, in a match that could have been fine as it was. And so anyway, good match until the end, which was pathetic and laughable. Lance Storm himself has complained to the top brass at WCW that his matches are not long enough for him to do what we know he can do. The shrift he got was very short. I'm sure it is very fair to say. So he is left with stuff like this. And despite Hugh Morris being partly responsible for our worst match of the year in... 1997, where he took on Conan. The hives still haven't died down from that one on my wrist or elsewhere. Um, He can have a good match with the right person, and Landstorm can be the right person when he is allowed to be. This was truncated, because it is a Landstorm match. Still packed a lot of good in there. Pretty decent back and forth. Not a whole lot to dislike. Often solid but unspectacular, is how I would describe this one, until the finish, because there's a reason... Hacksaw Jim Duggan hasn't been a heel of any kind for... Has he ever been a heel, Eric? Was he even a heel in Mid-South? 
Oh God! I I did a little bit of research on this. I couldn't find anything. By the time that he's conscious in my mind, would have been like eighty three, eighty four. Yes. And at that point, I feel like he was like your almost like your tough guy baby face. Mm -hmm. So I think that might be the closest he ever got, uh, unless you're a New Jersey straight patrolman. And then around nineteen eighty seven, he was appealed at least one baby. He was only he was only traveling with a heel then. Come on, that's allowed. That's true. That's true. So no, as far as this, I, I can't. I don't think Duggan's ever meaningfully been a heel in any sort of memorable capacity. Now he's an anti-American heel. Yeah, I know, right? Fortunately, probably not in a memorable capacity. So he's still got that going for him. <laughs> so shall but we yes. say he's still a face? And, and no, well, maybe we have to. One thing we do do on these programs, Eric, is face reality and try and stare it out. And we normally lose that battle. But even so, reality, we must try to take on here. Hacksaw Jim Duggan has turned heel by turning his back on America. It's just wild to me because he's he's still one of the most over guys on the card, too. Like you can bring Jim Duggan out once a month and really get the energy going. And I don't know, like there's room for Jim Duggan to pop a house or pop a crowd, at least in 2000. Like, come on. So, uh, no, I just think it's it's just a swerve for a swerve. And I don't think at this point, I think at this point, so much shit has happened. That, like, even this is lost. And again, even if you'd done this two years ago, or if Jim Duggan had, like, joined the NWO at some point before that became diluted, like, that would have been mildly surprising. This is just more stuff by a company that does too much stuff. What are they going to have him do? Uh, cover himself in maple syrup? <laughs> I've said far too much already. <laughs> Where did I pull that one from? <laughs> I do hope I'm the only person who's had that idea. I mean, just I mean, for crying out loud, you know, do him up like a mountie. You just know this, this is basic level stuff. Saying a at the end of every sentence. Oh, just no, just no. Hacksaw Jim Duggan is a lovable baby face. You can wheel out as you rightly say, Eric, every single month for an easy pop. And as Mick Foley proves every Monday and Thursday, easy pops very much have their place, even in the cutthroat world of pro wrestling in the late 2000s. Just have Hacksaw wrestle you know, tomato cans on pro every three months, if that's what you want to do, and you want to keep them on the roster, that's okay. If I was in the crowd, I'd probably even chant USA myself, if Hacksaw was, like my fellow countrymen did at UK Rampage 92, for example. But you've done this because you can do it, and... What is that all about? <laughs> I didn't take the bait. Here is the interview. You're gone. I was going to say this. Just ask yourself, what's the value to a view as a viewer or as a company to a heel Jim Duggan right now? Yeah. What, what, what's the end game? What, 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 what is the point of this? Yeah. Why do they turn him here? What's going to happen now? Does Hacksaw Jim Duggan... No, no, I can't, I can't even think of anything. I was going to say, does Hacksaw go for the title at Starcade or something? I can't even put anything as rational, that word again, in inverted commas to describe this one. There's no point. I feel tired and bored on behalf of our listeners for calling this a swerve for the sake of a swerve. I make this to 476 this year. But as another man once put it, who is conspicuous by his absence right now, it is what it is. 
Here's the interview you talked about, Eric. It was with the Natural Born Thrillers. And Gene was up for this one, it must be said. He called Sanders a prick and he all but requested a fight with one of the guys. Which one was it? It was Sean Jindrak Palumbo Stasiak, he called out in case you missed it. Very, very difficult. Oh, that one. Very difficult to confuse those people, of course. So, elimination match. Natural Born Thrillers versus the Filthy Animals. All members of the team are apparently facing off each other here, I think. The animals have a mystery partner with them. And after Conan wheels out the usual, he unveils the man under the towel and his lead trainer at the power plant, Paul Orndorff. The story here is that the thrillers don't like him because he made them actually do stuff at the power plant. Here's a match then. Jindrak and Ray are into it from the start. Springboard guillotine by the now bearded Ray. He gets swiped down very quickly, though, and power slammed by O'Hare. Hoovy with a body press and a neck snap onto the top rope. Missile drop kick, but he gets caught off the ropes and given a high vertical. He runs out of something else and now tags in Vito. Leg drop, but Disco takes over. He takes a tilt to wall side slam and now O'Hare is back in. Ray prevents any cover and then Disco with a neck breaker. Conan in and a sidekick from him, followed by a face plant. He gets cut off very easily though and runs into Disco. He thinks Conan is one of his opponents and gives him the last dance. O'Hare pins him and Conan is our first man gone. Johnny the Bull misses his big leg drop thing and Reno is able to neck breaker Disco down. Vito gives Reno a Mafia kick and then the Vito special DDT for Chuck, but Johnny makes the save. Stickball Bat is in the ring again, but he misses with the shot. The Thrillers already have a kendo stick handy, just in case he dives all the way across the ring with his attempt. That was lucky, wasn't it? Reno pins him after whatever his move is. Hoovy is up to the plate now and he does his stuff on Reno. Spinning body attack, thanks Tony, and Ray is in now. Good double teaming by the Little Uns, I've done it again. And then the Hoovy driver. The wasp leg drop, because that's what it is, is then hit, and Reno is out of there. Hoovy with a drop kick to O'Hare, but gets caught from a crossbody attempt, sort of. He gets hurled back into the ring over the top rope, and then the Shaunton bomb ends it for Hoovy. Orndorff is now in, and his crazy old man offense is just the ticket here. Elbow drop with that arm, but he gets kendoed in the back by Johnny. He rallies, though, and steals it to use himself. He swings for and reaches the fences with it, and yes, I have missed that pile driver. It eliminates Johnny the Bull. Then he ducks a splash attempt by Jindrak, who falls all the way out to the floor. Knee lift to O'Hare, and now a pile driver for Jindrak. No cover this time, though, and Orndorff is hurt by the looks of it. He is lying flat on the ground and not moving. He swiftly gets pinned, which was very, very wise indeed. He gets tended to in the ring by officials and EMTs as the match has broken down. Uh, we are just improvising at this point as Tigress hits a stud buster on Sanders, which was his first appearance in the match. And after a few more seconds, Charles Robinson, I'm pleased to say, stops the match and declares it a no contest. I appreciate that the commentators needed to fill time, but Hudson, you did not to say the fake word in relation to pro wrestling to describe what's going on here. Nobody watching this needs reminding of that. Orndorff gets stretched out and taken to the back with the Buffalo fans giving him a deserved standing O. should say at this point that as serious as the injury did look at the time, must have been very scary for all involved. Uh, he did suffer a stinger, as was confirmed during our main event, and detailed in the sheet a couple of days afterwards. Was a bit shaken up, but I'm pleased to say he managed to walk out of hospital the next day with no real lasting effects. Eric, that was a real, real shame. I'm glad to say it wasn't too serious in the end. But I was there for Rondor's offense while it lasted, if not too much else of this one. Yeah, we were talking about this. He looked, I mean, he looked pretty good. 
old school work, crisp, uh, snug, um, and people were selling. Uh, yeah, it was fun while it lasted. And then you're, I mean, <laughs> starkly reminded that there's a reason Paul Orndorff isn't a even a part-time competitor anymore. Um, and, and that was disappointing. But then, like you said, fun while it lasted. Glad he's okay. But maybe that's the last we'll see of Paul Orndorff. Not the worst way to go out if you just cut out that, you know, the injury that he suffered. What was really bothersome to me about this was how long it took them to call the match off. Like, by your notes, you know, because you're a reasonable person, your notes read like, oh, it was clear he was hurt. He was still, he was laying there. Nothing was happening. I think it was a good three minutes, you know. They wrestled around him for three minutes. Literally around him in the ring, listeners. It's just just think about that. And their response was horrific. Um, if he had suffered a, 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 a true, like, permanent neck injury, um, that would have just been, like, horrible, like, horrible, horrible, horrible. So WCW, like, good reminder to get on your emergency response team, you know, authorize your refs to call the match off, yada, yada, yada. Ultimately, he's okay. The match was thrown out. It was 15 minutes. It didn't matter. It was there to fill time. We wouldn't remember who won if someone had won this match. So probably all the best that it just sort of ended. Um, And we got to see Paul Orndorff. Um, I was just going to ask you, Roy, though, don't you think because Paul Orndorff trained all these six, seven generic guys, shouldn't he be the heel? (laughs) It's a cross he will have to bear, Eric, and we all have them. Uh, This one will weigh very mightily on his shoulders, I would wager. And you don't really want things weighing too heavily on Paul Orndorff's shoulders. I would like more. I feel like I say I talk about morbid fascination on these WCW shows every month with good reason. Morbid fascination, though, it is. I'd like to know what he taught them. (laughs) They said on the commentary team, the old line, everything they know, not everything he knows. I really hope that is true. (laughs) Let's leave it at that, shall we? Did he teach them anything he knows? Yeah, we have a long-standing enmity towards the natural-born thrillers, you and I, on these shows. Very much deserved is how I would describe it. As deserved as the standing ovation that the guy himself, Orndorff himself, got is our scorn that we pour on the natural-born thrillers. Match didn't matter. It gave us a talking point, as bad as it was. It's certainly not the one I would have wanted to be when the bell rang in the first place. Uh, it was just, just a bunch of stuff. For 13 minutes, that was all it was. Just a bunch of stuff. Natural born thrillers are never going to look impressive because it's simply beyond them. And the likes of Hoovy and Ray don't have the opportunities to outside of a small few flurries here and there. So the only real talking point out of this match could have been a very, very black one indeed. But I'm pleased to say it wasn't. But Paul, card stamped now, I think, my friend, card stamped. Yeah. Another very angry interview in the back here with Billy Kidman and especially Medusa. I cannot begin to do justice to the venom she spews forth. So I'll tell you what, everybody, you just sit back, cover your faces and just listen to the thing. This is an understatement. Tori Wilson, do you finally realize what your attitude has gotten you into? Listen up, you freaking bimbo bitch. I am sick of your crap. Once you come up 20 feet up in the air on that scaffold match, I am just going to demoralize you. And franchise, I don't know what the hell you're on, buddy. But listen up. When your ass goes flying up that scaffold, you bastard, that'll be the last time you see me and Kidman. 
and yours. Following that, Shane Douglas cuts the same promo he has for the last seven years, and now that's just not going to, well, cut it. He does, though, reiterate. I gotta start. I gotta start doing the Shane matches. You just can't be. You just can't be neutral on the guy. It's it. You've got a chance. You've got a chance to temper me here. He does, though, reiterate he will refund everybody in the crowd if nobody takes a flying leap tonight. Considering parts of this show had me considering exactly that, please don't tell Shane where to find any of me. He then rescinds his offer anyway. I haven't yet rescinded mine. So a Pittsburgh plunge scaffold match just happens to be a mixed tag match as well. This one is slightly more user friendly than scaffolds we have seen in the past. There's room for the talents to actually walk for a start. Otherwise, though, well, let's just find out. The scaffold is raised 20 feet in the air, but Kidman wants it higher. He gets his wish and Douglas looks rather worried about it, as does his partner in this match, Tori Wilson. Kidman and Medusa stride over with purpose and off we go. Tori holds onto the beams to avoid Medusa, but that doesn't go well. Kidman and Douglas share standard issue offense, as standard as you can get in this situation, I suppose. Medusa with a sidekick to Shane, and then she tries to boot him over and off the scaffold, but no luck yet. She misses an Enziguri and receives an STF for her trouble. Kidman helps her out quickly, though. Tori and Medusa both head for ladders set up either side of the scaffold, and Billy gets power slammed down. Shane charges, but gets backdropped himself. Medusa gets to the ladder and starts to climb downwards. There's a sit-out powerbomb whilst this happens between the guys. The scaffold shakes with every move the fellas do, making the ladder look rather unsafe to me. She descends all the same, but then Douglas catches up and kicks her in the head. She responds with a very specific upwards shot. A kick, though, by Shane, and she falls a fair few feet down to the padded floor. Where do they get these ideas from? She is out of the match now, apparently. Back to the scaffold it is, with it being two on one. Low blow of her own to Kidman by Tori, and then he gets thrown all the way off the scaffold down to the floor. Uh, it's a protective crash mat that opens up as he hits it in order to protect his landing. I repeat, where do they get these ideas from? Tori climbs down the ladder, and she looks very relieved to have done so. Um, the perfect stranger's knockoff starts to play, so I suppose that's it. During this one, Eric, Tony actually mentioned, because he just had to, our opening contest of the Great American Bash in 1991 for the last time we saw a scaffold match. You stole it. You stole it from me. <laughs> Tony, as ever, Tony got there first. I'm not going to claim credit to that. <laughs> so at least we have something to compare this in a positive light to, I think. Yes, uh, th- this. Uh, yes. And maybe Tony was foreshadowing us uh, this match. Uh, was not the worst scaffold match in WCW history by a tremendous margin. This was, you know, this wasn't the, uh, you know, the top match of all time. This wasn't Flair Steamboat 89 of scaffold matches, but this was maybe like Brett Austin Survivor Series of scaffold <laughs> matches. So let's, oh, let's, let's, let's temper our expectations here with two guys who could put on, this is sounding repetitive, just put me on, on repeat. Two guys perfectly capable of wrestling, a perfectly fine wrestling match, doing things, doing the best they can saddled with a ridiculous and hamstringing gimmick. So I think these guys did about the best they could under the circumstances. They didn't book themselves in this match. And I think if you put Shane Douglas and Billy Kidman in the ring, give them nine minutes, put Medusa and Tora on the outside, especially with Medusa, she can get physical. That'd be better, but as far as what they were given, they did fine. They really did. 
it would be remiss of me to be too critical because all of them, and I include Tori in this, because she looked, you know, we've seen in the last couple of months, acting isn't necessarily her strongest suit. Either that, she's been hiding her light under a bushel and she's the greatest actor in the world because she looked mortified being up there. And you know what? I would have betrayed my own scaredness if I'd been there as well. So no criticism of her at that point. Medusa took a big bump, which she didn't have to. Kidman took a pretty big bump, protected or not. He probably didn't have to. They did everything this match asked of them. It clocked in, I believe, at just 5.01, probably a decent length for it. it. I probably could, if I'd been in charge, if only, tighten things up a little bit. Nobody seemed to know that the match had ended, for example. But it's a minor quibble. Can I ask you a question about what you just yes, said, though? Um, of course. When you say tighten it up, do you mean TA... T-I-T-A-N or T-I-G-H-T-E-N? <laughs> I do mean the latter. But yeah, I, okay. I see what you... Where do you get your ideas from? <laughs> I think they tightened the first one up on two occasions in this match. I think that came across during my play-by-play. But yeah, no criticisms of all the people involved. See, there we go, Eric, including Douglas. There you go. Only had to wait five years. I've said something no, fairly this... decent about Douglas there. If you don't like this match, with three other people are barely mentioning him. No, if you don't like this match and you shouldn't, the fault is with the the booker and whoever rigged the scaffold and the whoever came up with the ridiculous spots, not with the people who had to go out there and execute it. I'll I'll plant my flag firmly in that camp in situations like this. At least there were no flags involved in this one, unlike the other match nine years ago. Or. Or 500-pound men trying to get across a rickety scaffold. Oh, my God. We should watch that one sometime. And now you're stealing <clears> my line. <laughs> not, not, not the second one in terms of watching Bash 91. Um, yeah. Can we, can we put that one in the ether as well, please? <laughs> I'm going to scrub that. Uh, Sting interview now. He doesn't get a chance to drop his catchphrase this time. And I put a big old yay in my notes. Jareth jumps in from behind, earning him a bastard from Gene. So you would have heard a bit of what this is related to earlier. We get some footage of Mike Tanay turning up at David Flair's house after the wedding that never was, which I played in a little bit of that earlier in our show. David only lets Mike in when he confirms he is alone. Of course, the house is in a bit of a mess. He's taking this very hard. How does he feel about having his life crumble before his very eyes? Is today's opening gambit as tactful as ever? David plain ignores him, and I'd argue that is too polite given that line of questioning. He then bolts to the window before heading back to the couch again, and suddenly hears a smoker now, apparently. He hasn't had a chance to speak to Stacy, and he has no proof as to who the father might be, other than maybe Reed, and who the hell wrote that line. But no, apparently the father has now turned up. It's not Ric Flair, although he hasn't denied it. David now makes a beeline for outside his house and beats up the father. Oh no. It is actually just the friendly local postie. To complete that gag, shouldn't that have been the milkman? Anyway, never mind. He breaks his leg and then we're out. Eric will be very brief on this one because the sound clip I played in earlier in the show, self-explanatory. Cliff's Notes version, David was going to get married to Stacy, but she's preggers with somebody else's baby, as Adam Faith would say. Sum up best you can. Rory, if I were interviewing you and you had this similar situation happen and I asked you, hey, Rory, 
Remember when you were engaged to be married to the most beautiful woman on the planet? Your dad was a multiple-time world champion, and you had everything you could ever want in a silver spoon. And now suddenly that's all gone away through no fault of your own. How are you feeling, pal? Um, that's basically the uh, summary of Mike tonight's interviewing style here. I don't know. It kind of made him sympathetic, right? Like, yeah. he's been this, like, conniving arrogant evil entitled kind of dickhead for the better part of two years year and a half how long saw him and i cracked you up by play by playing his first match if you remember yeah 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 yeah. so i don't know maybe at least they're they're trying something with him the 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 wedding was ridiculous and uh the storyline is ridiculous and it was so long and it uh, happened over multiple segments on nitro and the preacher was ridiculous go back and watch it just for that guy oh my god um, talk about overacting oh, goodness me well, for wrestling too that's what's crazy <laughs> about it um and yeah it was just bad community theater uh, on a multi-billion dollar cable network uh i can't imagine why they don't want to air this um you know, this whole thing is ridiculous, uh, but if David Flair comes out of this with a little bit more substance and he can get some work in, he might be able to salvage this after all. But, like, get get all these damn storylines, like, off of these people. Come on. There's no way this can end well. I'm The, the hives are coming back. <laughs> They're getting hives on top of the hives as to the thought of who they might end up booking to be the father of Stacey's baby. Oh, God. It's oh God. let's just based on some of the things I've read and in a certain interview we will discuss in a few more minutes time. The suggestion of Reed might not even end up being the worst one. And let's very, very hurriedly leave it at that. And wait, wait, about... I don't want to leave it there. I want to ask you this. <laughs> make, make it good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you rather it be Rick or Russo? <laughs> If it's either of those two. Uh, no, I'm going to say Rick. I think Rick could at least carry it off, so to speak. All right. We'll I know, but, 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 if, but, but the vanity booking that our week-to-week friend does, it's... Oh, the latter seems more likely, doesn't it? What about Bischoff? Just starting it. <laughs> Let's have some fun with it. Who else? Russo's probably... Because whoever the father is is going to end up being the face in this storyline because that's exactly the one (laughs) thing they shouldn't be, so they're going to be. So yeah, maybe Bischoff makes a little bit of sense there. That's true. I'm the father and your boss too. Uh, You might be buying this freaking company. Oh, Eric. Eric, stop and think, pal. You've got, you've got too much work to do. Oh, okay, but let the record show. Eric said we should have some fun with this one. If by our next month's show we have revealed who the father is, you will be reminded of this one, Eric, and reminded hard. Okay. You <laughs> you've gone it. and done it now, is all I'm going to say on this one. <laughs> when we find out who really has gone and done it. Yes, that's the best I could do in the time. Can I talk about Sting, Great Mooter and Vampiro now? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because I really, I really, really want to, as I'm sure you can tell. So yeah, Sting, Great Muta, Vampiro. Again, Lacey, I am so, so sorry. All three men scrapping the aisle right from the get-go. 
And before long, Vampiro sends Sting headfirst onto a chair on the outside. Back into the crowd, that again. And they are taking the cheese whiz out of Stink, according to Madden. That was for no reason whatsoever. Another chair shot to Sting, but he rallies with an Irish whip and clothesline to his adversaries. But now Vampiro has a kendo stick. In the ring now, and they take turns to take down the Stinger, or at least try to, as the man himself is still fighting them off. Knocked down for both guys, but no joy with the Stinger splash. Slug in the gut, and then a leg sweep, and Vampiro says that is it. Muta with the moonsault, and that should be it, but Vampiro pulls him off the cover. ICP come off commentary, and they're in to calm them down, but Sting just happens to have a baseball bat with him. He sees them all off, then a scorpion death drop for Muta will sort this one out. Muta is about to be punished by the heels, but Sting then comes to his aid. Another blast from the past today, he has a long after all. A lot of talk this month, Eric, that Sting is or maybe was in line for some sort of revamp. Even talk of surfacing making a reappearance. I would still put him in the group of guys in the top seven that we talked about in the War Games match that wasn't a War Games match a little bit earlier on. But for me, even with people like Jarrett in there, he is now seven out of seven. And Sting, even Sting, is probably above or below depending on how you want to look at it rehabbing these days oh yeah yeah sting's up there for sure um and he can he looks good when he wants to uh you know whether he wants to is a a whole other question um absolutely and i think you and i or 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 bob amber and i or some combination of everybody over the last six months or longer has talked about yeah time for you know, Sting needs a little bit of a of a fresh coat of paint. Uh, the 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 crow Sting worked while he had some well, it had motivation, and that company or that character's motivation was uh, the NWO fighting Hulk Hogan, fighting the insurgency against WCW, etc., righting the wrongs that were being done against WCW. Well, that's that's over, and we criticized everybody else for having their NWO gimmick long after it had passed. And in a way, Sting still has his NWO gimmick too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think you could refresh him. I think what they're talking about, at least what we've read about, has been a hybrid, which I think makes a lot of sense. Adding in some more colors, a little bit more colorful language in his promos, that sort of thing. But still, he can still be like the what the sheriff of WCW, whatever. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I think it's worth it, and I think it'll be good for his character. And I think with a you know a careful, even modest revamping of Sting, I think you can really get yourself another consistent top-line player for the next couple of years. Oh, there's still uh, something. As far as the, yeah, Matt, there was nothing yeah. there in the match. Yeah, bring it home. <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, the, the question didn't ask about the match, and I'm wondering if that was on purpose. I wouldn't blame you. certainly was. Um, <laughs> the match was incredibly disappointing because I have no qualms that Sting in any, in any of his gimmicks and the great Muda in any of his uh, in any year, could not have a, another solid match. There's, I realized, and I didn't put this together as I was making my notes initially, but I think darn near every problem on this card could be solved by stripping away a lot of the gimmicks and giving these guys a little bit more time. Like WCW has the talent. They have old, new, young, fresh, you know, established. They have the right combination of guys, but they're just saddled with these gimmicks and they're trying to get the wrong people over. 
and they're not matching up the right people, or even when they do, like here with Sting and Muda, which could and should be a solid pay-per-view uh, match, is saddled with Vampiro and the ICP and all that stuff. So uh, again, it comes back around to, and I hate to keep repeating myself, two guys who are saddled with overcoming a gimmick. And in Sting's case, he probably just said, fuck it, why am I going to do this? And Muda has no incentive. I don't even know if he's on a long-term contract. And so you just have Sting beat Muda in five minutes, completely neutralize Vampiro, which Sting's been doing since April. And onward we go. And the last thing I'll say is Bob and I joked back in like April or May about you know, oh, Sting and Vampiro, they should, you know, they'd be a perfect Halloween Havoc feud, but there's no way they'll still be feuding at that point. Well, we'll see what happens. Oh, well, not long to wait, I'm sure. As ever, you'll both be proved accidentally, probably proved accidentally correct. Uh, match was nothing, utterly nothing. I'm amazed I got that many notes out of it. All about the finish. Like, uh, clearly, the motivated, I'm not going to do the pun on his name, Muta. And Vampiro, who Lacey remains a fan of, but that's not a group I'll join him in, I'm afraid. Just tepid offense for six minutes until Sting takes us back to 1997 again. And that's pretty much it. Sting's motivation, that's, that's another word we mind a lot today, has been in question for many, many years, even when he was at the top of the game in this company 10 years ago. Often been said that wrestling is just a job for him. Bodybuilding in his gyms are where his heart really lies. And that's fine. That's fair enough. I don't expect people to live this morning, noon and night every single day of their lives. With that, problems come. I think there are many cases I could mention. People who eat, sleep and breathe pro wrestling to their eventual detriment. On the other hand, the question is, whether Sting that's still being very much in mind and the question marks held over the company mean that he now more than ever is just happy with anything he is given and the possibility of a character revamp or a hybrid of surface Sting and Crow Sting he's not going to go and bat for it because he's not really that bothered and he can just pick up a paycheck as I say he's always going to be in the top six or seven guys because he's Sting. He's never going to be permanently relegated to the mid-card, even if he does face Vampiro for six pay-per-views in a row. But he's done probably done everything in this company he has wanted to do. Might be a pretty short list. He is a very different person from what he was two years ago, and all fair credit to him for that, knowing, again, that some things are more important than this wacky world of pro wrestling. But let's just see. I think it's on him. Nobody's going to nobody's going to force Sting to do anything he doesn't want to do. He is still Sting after all. Carry some clout backstage. I personally think the time has come to freshen things up a bit. But ultimately, and don't we know this also? Well, it is not my decision. Eric, I'm going to require your knowledge to quote from beastie boys in a second on this one much like i did with our friend john rocker last month mike awesome oh yeah uses so say again i was just say oh yes let me pull up my notes on yeah you get awesome. i will i will preamble i will let you get your notes and you can educate oh. me for the second time in as many months 
Mike Awesome well, leaves his good. love mobile. And after talking about not losing his groove, he unveils a big surprise, who turns out to be Gary Coleman, who hasn't changed a bit. He coaxes you-know-what catchphrase out of Pamela, but not the man himself. So before we get to our match, our bunkhouse brawl against Jeff Jarrett, Mike Awesome is no longer the fat chick thriller. He is now that 70s guy traveling on a spangly bus wearing suits that were probably left in the costume drawer when Saturday Night Fever was filmed and just generally living the 70s or at least a certain somebody's prism of what the 70s are. Eric, that 70s guy this time has not come from nowhere. Fill everybody, most importantly of all, me in on what on earth they are referencing here. Right. So uh, in the US, uh, a couple of years old now, uh, there is an increasingly popular, it kind of started out being kind of culty, uh, but now it's gotten more mainstream, uh, comedy on Fox uh, called That 70s Show. Uh, and basically, it's your standard uh, situational comedy that follows uh, this group of teenagers around, but its gimmick is that it's set in the 70s. Um, and so that show has become quite popular, and it's either kind of crested or started this um, wave of kind of the 70s becoming a lot more relevant, kind of coming back around being chic uh, in the U.S., kind of one of those, like, generational cycles. Um, and so... I think uh, on the heels of the popularity of that show and wanting to appeal to a younger audience, uh, then uh, they've gimmicked up Mike Austin to kind of be a ripoff of that show's uh, idea and kind of the uh, nostalgic elements that they're trying to appeal to. So, yeah, that's what's going on there. It sucks. Uh, I, nothing I can really add to that though that sucks would have been my sole contribution to this one much like the fat chick thriller which I I had a attempt almost just for the sake of it to defend that slightly on our July show I didn't try on our August show and I'm going to quit while I'm behind I'm not going to try to defend the that 70s guy gimmick here but much like fat chick thriller doesn't really affect his in-ring any and i think that's something we can at least cling on to so let's find out in this match is bunkhouse brawl versus jeff jarrett the weaponry is already in the ring and jarrett you don't need to cut a flaming promo here the buffalo bills suck is the gist of it oh and the 70s are dead <laughs> nobody told your line of offense buddy Awesome emerges and the match is underway. Thank you. Awesome gives him a few shovel shots to begin proceedings. And now a handily placed rope shoved around his neck. He gets out, though, and wails away with a leather strap. The 70s guy becomes the 70th guy today to be sent onto the announce table. And now we are in the ring. Branding line and then our first move of the match, a shoulder tackle. They duel with chairs for a bit in a battle eventually won by Awesome. None of the shots were to the head, I'm pleased to report. He sends a table into the ring and preps Jeff on it. To the top rope he goes, but Jeff cuts him off good and early. Superplex through the table is teased, but Mike blocks it. Awesome bomb through the table? No, a back body drop by Jarrett breaks it. JJ took a fair bit of that as well. He breaks a broom over Mike's back. Now that is a household appliance. Oh, sorry, long show. But gets spun into a stood-up table in the ropes. One with a bit of barbed wire sprinkled on into it, no less. Sit-out powerbomb gets a two for Awesome. He misses a top rope splash and Jarrett jaws with some of the bills at ringside for a while. 
They accost him on the apron and shove him around a bit. Then one of them gives him a neck snap. Awesome bomb. One, two. Of course, Jeff gets the kick out of that first. Running bomb is blocked into a mule kick. The balls are still on the apron, though, until they aren't. And then the slap nuts guitar is in. But now here is Gary Coleman. He sneaks behind Jarrett and administers some blows. A spot there solely so Tony could say he was applying some different strokes. Sigh again. Jarrett responds with a guitar shot to the head. Jeff is then about to hit the stroke, but Sting is here for payback from earlier. Scorpion death drop, and that allows Awesome to get the pin and the win. They've already done that quote in the interview beforehand, Eric. So neither I or you need to ask anybody here what they were talking about. Oh, I've already done it. I try to stop myself. Yeah, you do do what you can, but really they're just begging for it. (laughs) Um, Hey, Rory, question for you. Yes, sir. Do you think that uh, Jeff Jarrett and Mike Awesome could have a good 10-minute wrestling match? Yes. Well, that's a match including okay. Jeff Jarrett. So a yes is very much, a, it's, it's as real a yes as it can be. I'm, uh, don't hook me up to the polygraph on that one. It genuinely is a yes. And even if we allow for some extra stipulations, because this match is now third from the card, and so it has some, some relevance, if we say, okay, yes, this is a bunkhouse match, it's third from the card, it's a featured match, if we even allow for that, you know, I think that we're, you know, we're still, we're still cooking uh, as far as giving these guys an opportunity to succeed. But then, like, <laughs> as your notes reflect, it's just gimmicks on gimmicks on gimmicks oh, and kicking out of things. And, and just none of it makes any sense. And it just devolves into utter chaos. And... Uh, you probably have to put a little bit of heat on Jarrett because he's definitely... Uh, you know, has influence over how his matches go and that sort of thing. There's no question about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but is this, this, it's becoming such a repetitive thing that like you don't even really notice it in, in, until you have to really think about it, which is like all these matches fall prey to the same basic problem, which is there's just too many gimmicks and there's too much shit happening and not enough shit matters. And you definitely could have like used the Buffalo Bills here. Uh, Jeff Jarrett's from Tennessee. The Bills and the Titans have a, a recent rivalry in the NFL. Um, that's fine, too. I mean, there's so many elements here, but when you just try to cram them all into a match, it's already gimmicked up on a guy that is already gimmicked up. Like, there's just so much. Just so much. It's too... It, yeah. So this match falls prey to uh, everything else. Two guys perfectly capable of putting on a fine match given really no opportunity to do that. No, it was just so interchangeable, wasn't it? This wasn't a Mike Awesome or kind of got the deal I'm saying this, a Jeff Jarrett match. A match this with weapons. This is definitely not a Jeff Jarrett match. <laughs> I'm not going to say. Um, with the Buffalo Bills at ringside. And that's it. Anybody could have done this. Jarrett is the person you want to put heat on. So it's him. Uh, the only thing that marked this match out from any other weapons-based brawl we've seen far too much of, certainly in the top two companies for the last two years, with very few exceptions, was Jarrett getting to kick out of the awesome bomb. There's no way I was going to let that one go, nor was he, most importantly of all. And that was it. Gary Coleman took a bump, no reason whatsoever. Sting got some revenge. Awesome wins a match that... Again, has already been forgotten. And if they're 
changing these gimmicks with awesome and they're not going to stick. They know they're not going to stick. The one remaining positive, and I'll say it again, is that it's not affecting his matches. But if his matches don't matter, then they might as well be. He might as well be shocking and jiving in there for all that matters. If this win against Jeff Jarrett is tainted as you can possibly get and means nothing and never gets referred to again. There's a difference between winning a match and being put over. Awesome had the former here, but safe to say didn't get the latter. Ultimately, that's what you need to have happen. You have to have people around who will let that happen. And Mike Awesome, for whatever reason, does not. As his surfeited gimmicks prove all too clearly. Two matches to go. After a video package for our next one, Gene talks to Big Popper Pump. He is a loaded sex pistol who is ready to explode. I am, of course, talking about Steiner there. Well, then maybe not. Bill, of course, makes nice with the bills at ringside. He's a good guy again now, you see. Scott is wearing his mask, probably to protect himself as opposed to those around him. The stags lock up and fall right into the corner, but Bill explodes into it with a shoulder tackle and front shoulder slam out of a press slam position. After a rest outside, Steiner with a clothesline, but he won't get more than two. Kicks in the corner and some hard shots. They're bringing it in the early going. Boot by Goldberg puts Scott down. As Madden says, these two guys are juiced up on adrenaline. Guffaw, guffaw. Neck breaker to counter by Steiner, and there is the belly to belly. Again, no, just two. He sets up for a tombstone, but in traditional WCW style, it gets reversed. Two count for Goldberg. Spear attempt, but he hits the post. Steiner up, but he gets caught and slammed. Well played sequence there. Back outside, Bill is sent into the stairs, and that looks like mid-Asia. With pipe in hand, chair shot by Scott to Goldberg and into the ring once more. Tree of Woe gets set up and Goldberg is busted open. Overhead, belly to belly, and Steiner starts taunting him. I'm sure he won't regret that. Nor the one-handed cover. Full Nelson goes on, but Bill powers out. Yet only briefly as he gets belly to belly again. Pipe is now in the ring, but no, it's a spear. Go on, Bill. And now surely it's time for the jackhammer. The fact I actually said, oh, fuck off when watching this live will tell you both what's happened and who was responsible for it happening. For the luckily uninitiated um, uninitiated amongst you, Russo hit Goldberg with a bat. They team up to put him through a table outside, and this is just demoralising. Bill is out, and now the recliner goes on. Goldberg fights it and gets to the rope. Medeja pulls it away, but he still manages to sit up. It's an electric chair, but Scott is up from that. Well, he sets Goldberg on the rope and they battle on there. And of course, Russo and Medeja hit him with their weapons. Belly to belly off the top rope, but not for a three count. Isn't much of a pop for the kick out, though. Oddly and concerningly. Recliner again, but no, he gets to the rope again and he sends Steiner outside. Big Popper Pump lands by a chair, though. He tries to use it, but Goldberg ducks and gets off that sort of neckbreaker type thing. He cannot bring my... He cannot bring myself to even... Oh, no, I've, I know what I've written here. He who I cannot bring myself to even mention. I'm allowed just one of those is in. See, I'm not even allowed to describe it properly. Basically, Vince Russo's interfering in the match. Are you happy? Allowing Steiner to use the pipe again and put on the recliner again. And this time the ref calls this one a wrap. Russo removes his shirt in celebration. And all the horrors he has bestowed upon us over the last year have nothing on that. Eric Landstrom. What have you got for this one? <laughs> this was a good match that was ruined halfway through with overbooking and needless interference. Uh-huh. There's a theme developing. <laughs> My goodness. Um, this one's worse, though, because Goldberg and Steiner were having a shockingly good match. Mm. 
at least big man style, power moves, you know, I was really quite enjoying myself. Even the compulsory manager interference, that sort of thing. Again, you're at the top of the card. You have two guys you want to keep strong, et cetera, et cetera. So it's okay to gimmick it up a little bit. But like when it just evolves into, oh, there's a guy here with a bat and they're just going to beat on the guy with the bat until they pin him. And it's going to take like five minutes. Um, it just was, it's just like Russo's here. And we know what that means. And it just, it devolves into something that helps nobody. Like Goldberg doesn't have any friends. No one can come out to help him. Or I don't know. I just, uh, it's just disappointing. It's especially disappointing because these two uh, guys uh, probably could have a, a, a real good heavy hitting uh, series of matches that uh, is just going to be ruined by Russo's insistence on his style of booking and his presence uh, in these matches. So, yeah, same, same. Same, same. It's another one where I didn't allow myself to get carried away. I enjoyed the opening four or five minutes Hoss battle. They were just hitting each other with everything they had in their chambers. With both guys as well, I especially like this. They were selling. It was pitched perfectly between these moves really hurt and these guys are big fucking fellas. It's not going to offset them too much. I think the selling there was right on point. And these, one of them especially, not people you can overpraise for the specifics of putting together a pro wrestling match. There's some of the real fine print. But Goldberg was doing it this one, and I'll be the first to say. It was four, five, six minutes they were doing that. It was the host battle we had in our dreams. But uh, we all know what dreaming does, do we not? And as it does, reality like, pins us down to the floor, boot first and stomps on our face and we'll never let go. Vince Russo, forever, I suppose, really. I know he says that to himself every day, but there we are. I even try to not mention his name. Uh, He's got me, and he'll get me again in about 10 minutes' time on this program. Mm-hmm. He and Medasia just get to treat Goldberg like, I don't know, a piñata or something for five minutes. And all the multiple attempts that Goldberg had to get out of the recliner, they don't save this situation at all. Don't need to do that for Goldberg. We, don't, we know how strong he is. That's telling a story from two years ago. Uh, we know that about Goldberg. It's priced into our enjoyment of him. And of course, your mileage may vary on that, but he definitely, even now, still has his moments on screen anyway. Because, oh, look how strong this guy is. He didn't throw in the towel and he only gave up at the third attempt. Yeah, okay. Uh, he doesn't need to be that sort of character anymore. Fuck it. Just have Russo and Medasia pummel him into oblivion and pin him if that's what you're going to do. Right. We've been burnt so many times that the... Attempt that they gave Goldberg here that was trying to lift the sink in true Jack Nicholson fashion. Wrong time, wrong place. Past caring. Vince Russo has been interfering in this match for seven years. That it, seven, seven years. I meant to say seven minutes, but you get it. Interfering in this it match for seven like minutes. Seven it bloody does. And that has to be the focus. So any other story they tried, and they did try to tell, utterly surplus to requirements. 
and even Steiner getting a win over Goldberg, I don't think it's going to count for too much in the grand scheme of things because they all end up doing stupid shit again the next day anyway. And so it goes on and on and on with nothing really meaning anything, nothing given the chance to mean anything. And it's a crying, crying shame. But it at least takes us to very close to the end of the show. And we have exactly 10 minutes left in the show when we begin Kevin Nash defending the world title against Booker in a caged heat match, just a common or garden cage really, for the world title. Buffer is on hand to tell us Nash is universally recognised as the greatest big man in professional wrestling. There's that wit again. Book gets the crowd into it, but is met with knees and a slam. Easy now, big fella. He misses a roundhouse and after a run up the ropes, Booker sends him down with a clothesline. Nash, though, traps him in a corner and we all know what that means. Bring along something to read. Fucking elbow misses, though, and Book peppers away, but is met with boot and clothesline. Cover for a count of two. Weak submission hold by Nash. He is putting less than zero behind that arm lock. But hey, guaranteed money. Booker out, but the sidewalk slammed for two. Off comes the turnbuckle pad. So does that mean a special snake eyes? No, it doesn't, because Booker counters and sends Nash into the exposed steel. Axe kick by T and the spinneroonie. Bookend is called for, but blocked easily. Oh, there's the choke slam. Oh, both men are down. Okay. Nash drapes the arm and only a two. And again, though, the audience aren't into the kick out. Nash remembers a cage is around the ring and sends Booker face first into it a few times. Book stops that, though, but can't use it as a weapon himself just yet. Luckily, the turnbuckle has not been fixed, so that'll do. And enough to open Nash up. That's got to be worth a bonus. Ten punches. I still love them, but a low blow stops them at ten. OK, and here comes the jackknife. No, because Booker grabs onto the cage and gets onto the ropes. Missile drop kick. Ah, still got to wait. It's only a two count. Nash takes control back straight away with a clothesline. They do the Broadway sell and trade tired shots in the middle of the ring. Come on. Nash with another low blow, but he collapses too. Both men slowly recover to their feet. Nash with the big boot as Tony praises his spirit and determination. <laughs> Straps come down. Maybe now the jackknife. No, Booker lands on his feet out of it. A quick bookend and a lightning fast cover. And that is the three count. Booker has got the title back. Judging by the capital letters I have used here, I am more enthusiastic than the Buffalo faithful. But even so, he gets all of 25 seconds to celebrate before the pay-per-view goes off the air. Suggesting rather ominously, you might say, that Booker probably would be well advised not to get too excited about winning the title. But Eric, for now, just for a few minutes there, just for a few minutes. The last 28 seconds of the show were the, some of the best stuff that WCW's put on in, in quite some time. I don't know. Like, was this match ever going to be good? I don't know. Like, so I think the finish was great. I think the, the, the match was what it needed to be. Uh, we know what we're getting from Nash. Um, 
not only is he up against a guy who's not quite at the level of like a Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels or really just those tippy top guys that we know can drag something out of Nash, but Nash is five years older now and with knobby knees and inconsistent, you know, working uh, from, from those matches that he was having. So, you know, we have an older, less seasoned Nash against a guy in Booker who's not quite at that level. So this match was never going to be great. Uh, but I think the ending was fine. Um, optimistically, I was thinking, just for a fleeting moment, you know, you got a company that's for sale. It's going through some transactions. But, like, what better time than to just put the belt on a guy that's homegrown, who can talk, who can work, and is over uh, to some degree and could probably be built into being more over and just have some consistency and have Booker T run this thing out as champion for a little while. At the very least, you can then hopefully have this new, fresh company that has some has a new guy. I don't know. I was thinking that as the show went up the air, not necessarily. Oh yeah, he got 25 seconds to celebrate. Like that's ominous. Of course it was, but also then, hey, they put the belt on Booker. Nash kind of got his thing. Let's just uh, let's have a little bit of optimism here. So yeah, I thought the ending was fine, and I thought that they put themselves in a position to succeed. And we know what that, what WCW does uh, when they put themselves in position to succeed. Because WCW match was all right, really, wasn't it? It was only nine minutes. It couldn't, although Nash gave it a it was, bloody good go. There's no way it could be bad. <laughs> it was what it needed. It was it was exactly what it needed to be. What it should have been. Like I don't I don't think this is like their top line matchup as far as drawing a house or selling pay-per-view buys but if this is what you're going to call your world title match these guys did fine yeah not every world title match needs to be an attritional 25 30 minutes uh, not at all and considering one of the guys who was in there i'm going to be very careful what i wish and glad on this this occasion what i got but they actually packed a lot into those nine minutes and i'm not going to go as far to say nash brought his working boots but he seemed as happy as he possibly could be to be doing the honours for Booker on this one. I've got to give him that. He gave his version of his best in those nine minutes. He started out fairly strong, used the cage quite sensibly towards the end. And the battle over the finisher was, it was pretty gripping, I've got to say. In the moment where you're watching the pay-per-view live and you don't know how long is left in the show, it really might have seemed like the first of many three or four mini battles for them to get there. But no, it ended in the first one. And you can afford to do that sometimes. If you do it all the time, it runs the risk of devaluing your top guys if they can just fall foul to a finisher in eight or nine minutes. But if you look at it from the other perspective, I want to believe as a viewer that a finisher is exactly that. No matter who you are, whether you're Kevin Nash, anybody, you get hit with a move, they're your opponent's big move, and 99 times out of 100, it's going to be lights out. That's going to be it. And this, thankfully, was one of those 99. It happened so quickly that I can't even say I was expecting the kick out. I could oversmarten myself and say, oh, I think Nash is going to kick out of this. Oh, no, he didn't. Didn't have time to even think that. And by the time I had, the show was off the air, so didn't even get a chance to really process Booker's title win, let alone the fact there was no kick out. Yeah, Booker fought well underneath was booked to look smart against Nash as well, that this was his moment. How can I hit the, how can I hit my finisher of him? Probably the best way 
is if he goes for the jackknife and if it's early enough in the match, I'm going to have enough left in me where I can land on my feet, I can quickly haul him in, put him up, bang him down and take my chances with the cover. I like that. As believable as you're going to get in a WCW main event these days. And I appreciated that. You shouldn't. You probably could, but you shouldn't ask for more than a nine-minute main event. Kevin Nash, Booker T in September 2000. And it did get to the right place. And listeners, press, press stop on your listening device now if you want to remain in happy oblivion in that place because of where we're going. But before we do... Let's put a bow on Fall Brawl 2000. Eric, sum up your thoughts and give me a score rating out of 10, please. It's so weird because I feel like we've said good things about almost every match. Um, Nearly every match had good things uh, happen and some good wrestling. I mean, clearly the Harris Brothers match uh, is an exception. I think the scaffold match gets a pass just because of that gimmick. Those guys worked hard and then nothing happened with Sting, but that's kind of par for the course here. So I, this, this show does not compare uh, as far as some of the negative cards we've reviewed the last few months. I think the show is clearly a cut above uh, this, this kind of really bad run that WCW has been on. Still, a lot of problems, a lot of confounding stuff, a lot of things that make you go, well, that could have been a lot better if they just not done all the extra stuff. We talked about all that, but like, I don't know, Rory can, I think this is a, gosh, and you got to be careful because are you grading on the Russo scale? Are you grading on the, is it good scale? Uh, And that's different, but like, I don't know. I think this is a five. I'll give this a five out of 10. Yeah. This is just on the cusp of watchable. Yeah. I'm comfortable with that. And that's five on the actual scale. That's five on the actual scale. Yeah, the, the, the fifty uh, the, on the Russo scale that it is. Okay, the the the, the, the skipper uh, uh, match was good. Um, I thought Queeby looked good. The six man tag had some good elements to it. Storm and, and Hugh Morris did did enough. Main event was good, and Steiner. You know, I just think there's there's enough here, and you know how much how much good wrestling do you do you normally get? Yeah, five out of ten. Why not? Ever so slightly lower. I was going to give this one a four but much like a lot of pay-per-views certainly in mid-1998 when the booking was almost as head-scratching as this the talent did their best to haul it to watchability hampered as they were hampered the word of the day really by the booking then and it was the case if i'm going to go four and a half because a lot of fine performances opening match scaffold match everybody did their stuff main event even to a degree but just it was grabbed down it was weights in the pockets and on the ankles and wrists and neck and probably even shoved down her throat as well that it would be impossible impossible to rise off the ground with it's not the talent's fault yet again it's it's the man who designs the other scale it's all down to him at the end of the day and i think over the last hour and a half we have explained in as much as you can explain it <laughs> what that entails and you still you've got to try to laugh haven't you but some good performances here and some outright good matches i think we put across how good the opener was did like the scaffold match like bits and pieces of the tag match 
the main event did what it had to. First five or six minutes of Steiner v Goldberg. They thought like they had something to prove. Two guys who probably don't need to prove anything, but they did. And I want to give them credit for that. Not people I credit very often on these shows. I think worthily so, but here they do. Yeah, Four and a half, considering I wasn't even able to grade the show last month. That is an infinite percent upgrade. Right? Don't get too excited about it. A four and a half and a five. Very much the upper end of where you could hope to be at this point. But a spare two hours and 40 minutes. Think about it. Think about it some more. And then think about it again. But then maybe watch Four Ball 2000. Four and a half out of ten for me. that you're WCW World's Heavyweight Champion, who's next? Well, you know, Mike, you know, again, I, I, I sit here today, the WCW Champion, but the fact of the matter is, I'm not an athlete. I'm not a sports entertainer. I, I can't do in the ring what these guys in WCW do. And you know what? Maybe some people say I have no business being in that ring, and maybe they're right. On Monday night, I wanted to prove a point. I wanted to prove a point that at any given time, Vince Russo can step in that ring with anybody and walk out the WCW champion, and that happened. Okay, but Mike, I said it on Monday. I'll say it again to you. I am done competing in the ring. My days of getting knocked around and beat up are over. I have a decision to make regarding this belt, and I will make that decision Monday night on Nitro. You know, I think you've already made that decision. Now's the time to come clean and tell everyone who down the line is going to be the world champion? Come clean. Yes. Why? Why? Why do I need to tell you, Mike? Yeah, I've already made the decision, and you know what? I'm going to make people wait for it. They're going to wait till Monday night. On Monday night, they're going to find out what Vince Russo is going to do with his WCW title. You talked about true athletes, WCW superstars, and I need to ask you about Bill Goldberg. You made it very, very clear on several occasions. Bill Goldberg has it in his contract that he cannot lay one finger on you or else he's gone for good from you, WCW. You know, Mike, have you ever been hit like that in your life? No, I Do can you honestly know say the I have impact, not. The impact of Bill Goldberg's, what, 300 pound, 350 pound frame driving me through a steel. Blah, 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 blah. And then you hear what you just heard, which is going to wrap us up for the day and maybe even forever. Who knows? 
Yeah, so Eric, what everybody heard there was Booker T defending his world title on the last Nitro of the month against Vince Russo. Well, obviously. And Russo used a lot of weapons. We had interference from Lex Luger, because we did. We had Ric Flair disguising himself as an EMT, because that fits Ric Flair's character to a T. Oh, for goodness sake. The Black Scorpion was a better fit than that one. And we had Booker about to win the match, handily and easily as you like, as of course he would. Strolls out the door, stands by it for a little while longer, hangs around, just in case, I don't know, Bill Goldberg wants to get himself a piece of Vince Russo. As luck would have it, he does. Booker observes all this from the door, fights off Scott Steiner even. He's still there watching. About 30 seconds left in the broadcast. Goldberg with a spear on Russo. Can't say I blame him. Goes right through the structure. <laughs> Literally and metaphorically. <laughs> Did Russo <laughs> land on his feet before Booker finally, finally, finally deigned to walk out of the door? We'd go off the air not knowing. Fast forward to Thunder. Sit down interview. Vince Russo. Neck brace. Another Vince tried that six years ago. Sympathy, sympathy. With the world title belt held on his shoulder, telling us that he is indeed the world champion. He will have more to say about what happens with it on October the 2nd. And I shudder to think again what that might be. But, and I will play in some of that interview as well, because I just can't otherwise. But Eric, as you might be able to tell by my inflection here, I should be inflamed and enraged with fury about Vince Russo booking himself to be the world champion and taking it off Booker T after just a few days. And I am. Listeners, you've listened long enough to me on these shows. Of course I am. But as I alluded to at the start of the show, in the right light and with a following wind, I can sort of kind of ish see why he is doing it as much as I might and do. Stockholm syndrome hasn't quite kicked in just yet. I'm fighting it. Do not want to see. Skinny, fat, non-wrestler, ego loaded and swallow Vince Russo as world champion when you are booking week to week. And you never know when you will finally be given the boot. You might as well help yourself to the jewels while you've got access to the safe, might you not? Is that a compliment? Am I I rationalising the (laughs) non-rationalisable? No, I I think the only wind that's blowing here is from the sewage treatment plant that's upwind. Um, (laughs) No, you can't. I admire you, and you know we talk a lot about the tone of the show seeming samey uh, when things aren't going very well in a particular company. Um, no, I think this is indefensible. I think this harms your world title worse oh, yeah. or just as bad as the David Arquette thing that was given yeah. uh, just all sorts of of, of negative attention. Um, I, I think that this devalues Booker T. He looks like an absolute moron in the match, uh, losing the match. It makes all the faces look like morons. It just and now, and then it just puts more emphasis on Russo. 
And the show's not going to succeed if the emphasis is on Rusa, who's a non-wrestler with, with not the right kind of heat a lot of the time. So, no, there, there is nothing redeemable about Vince Russo apparently defeating Booker T for the world title in a cage match on Nitro. Um, and this might just be that bottom of the barrel that we've been searching for. And I think we've joked about it enough. Um, I'm sure we've joked about Vince Russo winning the world title, but I don't think any of us, if you pulled everybody on this show or any of our listeners, could have reasonably thought that Vince Russo would actually be the the lineal world champion. Uh, and here we are. And this is rock bottom, dude. I tried, everybody. I get letters and emails every month telling me, oh, all you ever do is pile on Russo. No, he's doing his best in a difficult situation and all that. Cut him some slack. At least he's creative. da dee da dee da dee da And the one time I try to do it, I get deservedly slapped down. So no more. No more. No more attempts at defending. No more attempts at journalistic impartiality. I'm not bound by any charter. I can now pile on Russo all I wish. That is it. That is the one chance he has had. Him being champion is... A blood chiller. It's uh, just, I feel like the last stone has been cast now. And is this rock bottom though, Eric? I feel like we've said that before. Probably at least once in the last two months on these programs. I think we've channeled uh, I, long, I guess, long, long below the Earth's core on this one. I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know how much more like blatantly destructive this company can get. That's the word. Yeah, destructive. Sometimes I almost, I think I've said this before as well, almost willingly destructive. Is this, is this sabotage? Is this an inside job? So many things we, we don't talk about in the news. Everybody just, if you do subscribe to The Torch or The Observer, just take time to go back through your back issues for the month and the most recent one as well. And just take it in what goes on in that company day upon day. There's no control. Left hand not knowing what the right foot is doing and vice versa. Completely shambolic. Proverbial, you wouldn't run a lemonade store like this. And here is the second most preeminent pro wrestling company in the world, supposedly. And they cannot get any basic handle on things. And what we see, the total debacle on camera is pure symbolism of what goes on behind the scenes and yes maybe it is stockholm syndrome i seem to remember russo saying something very similar to that at bash at the beach 2000 so i think it's now time to get out of this hell hole ourselves uh, so we'll leave vince russo as world champion and we'll see yeah what we what he does with it next month i can't hardly wait let's get out of here Ah, it's early October 2020, Eric, and we are free for another few weeks. It's tough, man. Uh, this is, yeah, uh, I don't, I don't know where we go from here uh, because, uh, well, I, I know that it would appear that he's not long for this world, so we can at least rest on our laurels uh, there. Um, but yeah, this, this is getting more and more challenging to talk about. I'm, I was glad that we had a solid. Uh, actual pay-per-view relatively yes. solid show to review uh this month silver linings where we can find them but boy 
Yeah, there's just some confounding things going on, and it does get more and more compelling month to month. Yeah, I do think the news is going to be where things really start to cook over the next months, and we will attempt to bring as much of it to you as we can while we get there. You alluded to it there in time on Eric. I think it's probably worth mentioning just for a couple of minutes now before we finally wrap up uh, how hard it is, especially on you know, this side of the wrestling 20 years ago divide, to find and discuss laudable things. As it said in wrestling podcast law, and I think a lot of listeners would, in fairness, they would probably agree with this, that the worst shows make for the best listen. Perhaps I, I see where people are coming from on that one, but you've got to spare a thought for the poor people who have to try to articulate it over two and a half hours. And we are doing our best, Eric and I specifically, to be as candid as possible when something needs to be criticised, we do so, and in no uncertain terms. But we also do our best to sprinkle it at least with positivity. And we're going to do that for as long as we possibly can. Now, the Kiwi skipper match, now, putting it over there as a near match of the year contender, now, that's where we are. Still a very good match, incidentally, but we will do our best. We don't want this to be an unrelenting screed of negativity, but the source material does make our job pretty hard. That was the best WCW match in quite some time. Yes. Yes, definitely. That's where we are. Yeah. It, gets, uh, it gets interesting from here on in. It does. And yeah, we, we do our best to be to be uh, objective and entertaining and news forward. So hopefully we're doing that. But it's going to be a rocky road. I think so. But everybody, do let us know. Drop us a line. We'll tell you a bit more how you can contact us in a second and let us know what you think of how these shows are going. But Eric, floor is yours for uh, as long as you need, my friend. Um, plug anything you want to plug. Um, say a few thank yous. What have you got for us to round us off? Just No, just follow us on Twitter at Wrestling20YRS. Uh, Rory and the rest of the gang, uh, myself included to some extent. Uh, we try to keep you entertained. And yeah, come, come join us over there. And bonus shows. There will be bonus shows at some point. Uh, so keep your eye out for those two. There will be. I dropped some bonuses that were previously on our Patreon. I sent those out about five or six weeks ago. So if you missed those, it should be very easy to hop back into the first round of the archives and find them. But there will be some more bonus shows coming, as Eric rightly says. Talk of a mailbag show, possibly something else, another live watch. We'll keep you posted. Keep it locked to the Twitter, especially. We'll let you know as soon as we know. But yeah, do hit us up on the Twitter, Wrestling20YRS. Anything you want to know, want to chat about, anything we've talked about on these shows, uh, current product as well, come and find us. All very friendly bunch. Hey, I'm normally in charge of the Twitter, but all the guys can have the password at any time. So you never know who you'll really be talking to. But do find us on there. Chat to us about the pro wrestlings. It's what we're all here for, really. I have a couple of other shows on the Place to Be Nation Wrestling Network. I have with my pals Ben Locke and Callum McDougall a monthly show called The Special Relations, where a bit of retro wrestling, a bit of modern day wrestling bit of discussions outside the box with other forms of pop culture because i've just remembered to be reminded in doing that show that they do exist uh, that drops every month on the network and by the time you've heard this show the latest edition of senior video should be out there where a very familiar voice chris lacy joins me to go through the ultimate warrior 1989 vhs so do check that one out on place to be nation hmm. yeah there you Solid. go Solid, solid release. 
It's all right. Warrior 88 to 89. You can see him improving before your very eyes on that tape on the network. I would recommend checking it out for somebody who over the previous few years, you could probably describe me as a warrior agnostic. My opinion is definitely softening pay-per-view matches, especially big match gym, if you will. So do check that one else. A show where Chris Lacey and I go through that one match by match. Ultimate Warrior 1989 on my show. Seen your video. But yeah, that wraps it up for September 2000. Lacey's ECW show already available as this one goes out. And our WWF show with Mr. Chris White at the helm. Do look out for that one as well. But we will see you all again next month here on WCW. Stay strapped in best you can. I have been Rory McNamara. And until You know, Mike, let me tell you this. I'll tell you right now. There's a little bit of information I'm holding back. And this little piece of information, it concerns Ric Flair. And unless Ric Flair wants me to drop the bombshell on him and his entire family, Ric Flair just better stay out of my sight from here on in. And this bombshell concerns Ric Flair's family? It concerns Ric Flair and his family. I know what it is. He knows what it is. And if he doesn't want anybody else to know what it is, he better stay out of my way. Another shocker Monday was the return of Lex Luger as your ally. He's my ally. I didn't know Lex was going to be there. I had no idea. And you know what? To this day, I don't know what Lex was doing there. Maybe you need to ask Lex these questions. Maybe you need to ask Flair these questions. You see, you seem to sit there and, and, and think that I know the answer to everything. I have no idea what Lex Luger was doing at the Nassau Coliseum Monday night. You know, Vince, you're giving me answers, but you're not giving me the right answers. Am I Medasia? Do I look like Medasia to you? Do I look like Stacey Keebler? You know, Mike, let me tell you something. I've been watching you on TV the last couple of weeks, and, you know, for my taste, maybe it's just me, you're getting a little too big for your britches. So let's end the interview on this note. Monday night on Nitro, you need to go out, you need to buy a pair of wrestling boots, You need to buy a pair of wrestling tights, and if I were you, I'd have it cover up my whole body. Because, Mike, Monday night, I've got a job for you in that ring, okay? And this time, Mike, I got the last word in. How about that, okay? Well, that would make a change.